It's your boy home team here. I'm back at it with another video of African history, culture, and worldview. Today I want to talk about King Narmer. Now, King Narmer is recognized as the first Egyptian pharaoh, and he's pretty much the unifier of Egypt. We know this because he pretty much didn't shut up about this. Like this guy put inscriptions in the north, south, east, and west, and his palette is recognized to have the crown of Upper Egypt and the crown of Lower Egypt. Like I said before, Upper Egypt was in Southern Egypt and Lower Egypt was in Northern Egypt. So pretty much Norma was trying to be like, I'm that dude. Now scholars are a little confused about who Norma really is because his story parallels with like two other dudes, King Menes and King Scorpion. No, not that King Scorpion, that King Scorpion. Side note. Who wouldn't want to be associated with King Scorpion? Yes, the movie The Scorpion King is loosely based off of King Scorpion. This guy literally said, no, my name is not John. My name is not Andrew. My name is Scorpion. You're going to call me Scorpion. Now, look, I'm not going to go hard on Hollywood this time. They tried. The Rock is a cool dude. Now, Egypt's history is broken up into like three different parts. You have the Old Kingdom, the Middle Kingdom, and the new kingdom. Now, in popular culture today, we tend to focus on the new kingdom, you know, King Tut and Queen Nefertiti. But in the old kingdom, that's where stuff went down. That's pretty much when the pyramids were built. Now, granted today, we don't really know who built the pyramids, but we pretty much have a good idea. This guy named King Sneferu of Egypt in the old kingdom, he pretty much told us where he got the manpower from totally selfish dude basically what he did was he would purposely start a war with nubia and libya just so he can get war captives to build his pyramids wow now king sneferu is known for his red pyramid today but he also built many other pyramids in the area anyway king norma is known to be from the south or at least he's believed to come from the south and like I said, he's a unifier of Upper and Lower Egypt. And though he's confused with a lot of different dudes, King Scorpion, he's accredited with being the unifier of Egypt. Good job, Narmer. But it's interesting to know how this dude died. Pretty much the story goes a little like this. Now, Didorius Sicilus, a Greek historian, basically kind of wrote down what he heard from an Egyptian priest named Manetho. Now, apparently, King Narmer died because his hunting dogs turned on him. And while trying to escape, he was traversing through a river and got mauled by a hippopotamus. <laughs> nah, that's not funny. I mean, in ancient times, it definitely wouldn't have been funny. I mean, today, thousands of years later, it's definitely pretty hilarious. But I'm sure back then it was, it was really serious. Now I'm just playing. I'm sure one dude, just one was just rolling. But yo guys, I'm all out. I hope you guys learned something about King Norma today. Know thyself. Remember your ancestors. Peace.
Africans were still in the Stone Age before the white man showed up. This ain't nothing but lies. The never even created a boat. He was already dead, cause statues and, and pyramids and shit is proof he was already dead. You hate your own race cause you believe what the white man wrote in the history book. Alright, just like before, we had to get the predictable, racist, and downright ignorant comments out of the way. Unfortunately for you idiots, I can't please all of you, and quite frankly, I don't really care. So let's go ahead and begin. Hello everyone, it's Jabari here. If you didn't see part 1, I highly recommend that you watch it first, and I'll provide a link to it in the description below and at the end of this video. In part 1, I went over cultural, technological, economic, and military conflicts that would have likely transpired between the Mali Empire and the Mexican states. I also mentioned one strong and unavoidable advantage that the Malians would have had over their Mexican rivals. Disease. In our real timeline, disease played a major role in the decline of the New World populations and the eventual conquest of both continents by Europeans. The indigenous people lacked any natural immunity to these foreign diseases, and as a result, very few recovered. And tragically, the majority of them perished. We usually learned that it was European diseases that were responsible, or more technical terms would be Old World or Afro-Eurasian diseases. The reason for this is that the diseases brought endemic to all three continents of the Old World, which had been connected with one another through migration and trade for millennia. In other words, the peoples of Africa, Asia, and Europe shared the same diseases, and their populations had basically bred out the majority of those whose immune systems were too weak to fend off these diseases. This is a shining example of natural selection, where the strongest survive and the weakest perish. Those who survive are the ones who continue on with their lives, reproduce, and then create children who also share the same immunity as their parents. This is something that happened in the old world from generation to generation over thousands of years. Unfortunately for people such as the Native Americans and the Australian Aborigines, this process didn't happen until the arrival of Europeans. With that said, the effects were devastating, especially when coupled with the fact that Europeans were constantly fighting and having wars with Native Americans with superior technology. This is one of the main reasons why Europeans had much more difficulty colonizing the peoples of Africa and Asia, because disease didn't thin the herd in these areas as it had done in the New World. For the most part, Europe's African and Asian colonies didn't begin to grow at any large scale until the late 19th century. While most of the New World civilizations, which encompass two entire continents, collapsed within just two centuries. So the question is, would disease have played such a major role in the Americas if it had been colonized by Africans first? The answer to this question is a very confident yes. However, a few important differences should be addressed. Firstly, in the real timeline, the primary killer of the indigenous peoples of the Americas was smallpox. 
though smallpox was also endemic to Africa, in this alternate timeline, malaria would probably be the primary killer. Malaria is a tropical disease that is endemic to Africa and other warm and tropical areas of the Old World to a lesser extent. Even to this day, many countries of Africa have malaria listed as the most common cause of death among children under the age of five, according to the National Center of Biotechnology Information. Because of this, most Africans have a heightened immunity to the disease compared to most of the world's population. In fact, genetic mutations common in Africa and other tropical nations of the Old World, such as sickle cell anemia and G6PD deficiency, have been proven to dramatically reduce one's susceptibility to malaria. With that said, malaria epidemics would hit the native populations in a similar fashion to the way that Europeans brought disease in the real timeline. European diseases are believed to have wiped out up to 95% of the native population, and many of these people were already suffering from the effects of these diseases before ever even seeing a white man. Despite malaria being an equally devastating disease, it would have likely had a much slower progression rate in comparison to smallpox due to the fact that these Malian colonies would more than likely colonize and expand from one focal point in Mesoamerica, in contrast to several European nations landing in many locations and creating several focal points for the disease among the indigenous peoples. So in this alternate timeline, disease would indeed be a factor in the growth and expansion of this new Mali-American colony, but the death tolls wouldn't be nearly as great and would most likely restrict themselves to Mesoamerica and possibly the Inca through trade. With that said, its effects would be similar to ancient epidemics of the old world rather than the genocide effect it had on the newer populations in our real timeline. When compared to the European colonization and ultimate conquest of the Americas, the Malian colonization would have likely started off at a similar rate to that of the Europeans. The reason for this is that like Europeans, they brought metal weaponry, old world disease, and horses, which devastated the local populations. Despite the fact that the Malians lacked plate armor, cannons, or archivists, they would have arrived in much larger numbers, which would have made their impact equal, if not greater, than that of the Europeans in their initial stages of colonization. However, once they had established themselves in the region, their progress would be significantly slower than that of the European conquerors, simply due to the relative lack of competition from other states. In our real timeline, several European nations such as Spain, France, Portugal, Great Britain, and Dutch were all collectively competing and exploiting these new lands and their people. Mali, on the other hand, would likely lack any competition until the word possibly spread to other Islamic nations such as the Arabic or Swahili states. With that said, Mali would put most, if not all, of its emphasis on one focal point that would slowly grow and progress over time. It would also more than likely never reach the size and scale of the European colonies of the real timeline. This is due to the fact that despite African weapons being made of metal, they were still relatively similar to that of the natives who had their own stone equivalents such as spears, bows, and swords. The armor worn by Malian warriors was also similar to that of the Mexicans, being primarily made of densely woven cotton quilt or chainmail. The native armor only protected the torso, but was much stronger due to being hardened by salt water. Malian armor generally protected more of the body, but wasn't hardened by salt water, and thus wasn't as strong. Though metal weapons and armor would have given Malian edge, 
horses and disease would ultimately the biggest advantages that they possessed over the native people. There would also likely be competition between the indigenous Mexican kingdoms for control of the areas that bordered the Atlantic coast and the new Mali empire. These states would be able to buy directly from Malians and sell to states that are farther inland, which would inevitably lead to conflict. Again though, the growth of this new empire would have been much slower than that of European colonies in our real timeline, and their empire would more than likely fail to reach the size and scale of that of Europeans. Growing their empire too large would spread the Malians too thin. This is evident in our real timeline, where the Roman Empire divided itself into two, the Eastern and Western Empires, due to how difficult it was to rule over such a massive area. With the slow growth of the empire, more time would be allowed for local people to adapt and adopt the military advantages of the Malians. In the end, if the Mali Empire had indeed beaten Europeans to the Americas, they would have likely grown very wealthy from New World commodities, on top of already being rich from their gold and salt trades back in Africa. I think that if Europeans did eventually arrive, Malians would have continued to control and dominate a vast expanse of American territory for centuries. However, European powers and colonies would have more than likely grown and expanded from different parts of the Americas until they eventually trickled down to the new Mali Empire. No one can say for sure, however, whether the Mali Empire would be powerful enough to retain its sovereignty from Europeans by the time this did happen. A few things to consider would be whether or not Malians would have adopted firearms or how much their power, influence, and technology would have improved as a direct result of their American empire. So what do you guys think? Would Mali have adopted firearms by then? Would they have built and approved upon the fleet that got them to the Americas in the first place? Or would they have possibly even reached Europe? Anyway guys, I hope you enjoyed the video. I put tons of thought into this and I was sure to think as critically and balanced as possible. Please be sure to comment, like, and subscribe. And also, if you enjoy my content, please show your support by becoming one of my patrons. Patrons also have the ability to submit other awesome video ideas and requests. Also, feel free to join my Discord and have discussions like these anytime you so choose. The links to these can be found below. Thanks for watching, and always remember, we don't come from nothing. about the black anti-intellectual movement. These individuals who have adopted the Jacksonian era of philosophy of anti-intellectualism married them with the 1900s of positivism and applied to an ideology of being conscious. The BAIM or the black anti-intellectual movement emphasizes the idea that intellectual pursuit and methodologies used in the modern disciplines such as science, history, and psychology are the sole creations of whites. Blacks, therefore, should shun these academic methods of understanding and rely instead on what are deemed African or black ways of understanding. Some BAIM or black anti-intellectual movements even adopted a form of negatory, declaring logical pursuits the domains of whites and artistic deemed emotional or spiritual matters the domains of blacks.
the pros. Highlights the serious cultural inheritance flaws with academia uh, and the scholarly world that should be addressed. The cons. This goes for you too, brother. In regards to the video alone. The cons. Makes white people the architects of everything in the modern world. Falsely believes that prior to white people, blacks and others were not using systems similar to the modern scientific or historical methodologies. Falsely believes that non-blacks have not contributed to what is the pursuit of knowledge and understanding in the modern world. Falsely believes that somehow white people own science or the likes take non-understanding of a subject as evidence of a flaw in said subject are clueless as to the nature of evidence as a method of making a case. Will engage in debate not presenting any evidence but speaking from emotions, sentiment, and critiquing any evidence presented again from the stance of emotions, sentiment. All conflicts in their mind boil down to opinions as to them there are no facts. Employed methods and ways of understanding or gaining knowledge that are individualistic rather than collective. In other words, their message only works for them, not you. You thus can verify nor deny it. It is untestable. We'll try to make others drop out of high school, college, or whatever, and belittle their academic accomplishments as reliance on the right man's pedigree. Suggestions. Engage in the debate with them is pointless because you will be the only person presenting evidence while they pull the most improbable opinions out of thin, clear air without any evidence, once none whatsoever, to present as facts. The best thing to do, avoid them. All right. And the yeah. of that glycon was just a damn snake, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Snake. So tell us about the methodology and how you came to these conclusions. Yeah, sure. Um, well, well, the first thing I did um, when I got basically got the research grant to do this project, uh, to do this research, the first thing you do when you get a project like this is you you work on methodology, figure that out. So I went scholarship said, well, what are the methods they're using in Jesus studies? Up before the up to this point, I was very well read. 
and studied extensively historical methodologies in general, uh, especially in ancient history. Um, but this for Jesus studies, I went and studied those methods as well. So I had all of these sort of wide range of methods that are kind of standard in, in among historians, and then the methods specifically that have been developed relatively recently in Jesus studies, and uh, and then read all of the studies about those studies. So there there were actually several studies by Jesus historians specifically and solely about the methodologies being used in Jesus studies. Uh, this include books and journal articles, re uh, peer-reviewed books and journal articles, and every single one of them that was a dedicated study of the methods found that those methods don't work, that they're they're either invalid or they're invalidly applied. Um, and so I realized, well, that's not going to work. And uh, but at the same time, I was coming to realize that history is about probability. It's all about how probable are certain things, how which things are more probable than other things, how probable are they? And if you're going to talk about probability, you have to start looking at the logic of how do you get a conclusion that is that has a probability? How do you determine this? What is the logical formula for this? And uh, through a bunch of other circumstances, I discovered that actually Bayesian reasoning is the correct way to do it. I mean, the CIA uses this. Uh, the archaeologists uh, are using it now. And so uh, what I did is I sort of developed, well, how does this explain standard historical methodologies? How do, what can we learn from this method? How can we use it? For historians, because um, we're not using with we're not we don't have scientifically precise data, so it's not that kind of a method. It's not a statistical study kind of thing. It's a probability theory thing. It's a logic thing. Uh, and so um, I wrote my first book. First product of my research project on this was proving history, Bayes' theorem, and the quest for the historical Jesus. And that was basically on the methods, how they work, why they explain all valid historical methods, and how they explain why the experts in Jesus studies found that Jesus studies methods don't work. So you can actually analyze those methods using Bayes' theorem to show what's really going on here. Why, why do these methods not work? Why aren't they applicable? And uh, once I developed the methodology, I applied it. So when you see the next book, which is on the historicity of Jesus, what's well, the final book, the last one that capped the project, that really applies this method to the question of the historicity of Jesus. And that's where I end up finding a wide margin of error, but the, the, top, of the top of the margin of error was one in three um, highest probability, I think, could reasonably be believed for the historicity of an ordinary Jesus. Okay, beautiful. Um, let me let me run down a few questions that people might have. So let me just get them out of the way yeah. real quickly because the common person in in the um in the African American community, you know, it, I mean, Jesus believers are like at probably they were like at ninety five percent. Now it's about probably eighty five. You know, a lot of people going back to African spirituality and following mm -hmm. different traditions. So that has broken down for a little oh, bit. But Jesus yeah. has been the main man in the African-American community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to come to somebody who actually has been believing this for for years. You know, their great-grandmother, the grandmother, yeah, yeah. mother, and now they. So let me ask you this now. Um, how do we challenge... Um, you did an article on Tacitus years ago saying that it possibly was an error by the person who wrote um, by Tacitus at the time. You don't, I, I think, if I remember correct, correctly, you said it wasn't a forgery, but you feel like when the person was copying it, they probably made an error in copying. And what I'm talking about is yeah. Tacitus referring to, and my, let me just tell you my personal thing with the whole Tacitus thing is, if he's talking about Jesus Christ, why did he make, write Christians? Because I think that was erased by Christians later on. And um, what do you feel about the whole Tacitus? Um, yeah, there's a lot 
a lot about that. Um, yeah, there's there's one passage in the Annals of Tacitus where Tacitus says, um, and then Nero scapegoated the Christians and blamed them on, uh, blamed this arson crime on the Christians and and engaged in uh, basically uh, publicly executing them in horrible ways to try and uh, pass blame onto them for the burning of Rome. And there's a one line in there where Tacitus says, yeah, and these Christians uh, are named after Christ, uh, who was crucified by Pontius Pilate and a few other things. But it's very basic uh, description. Now, if if Tacitus wrote that the way we have it, um, he's writing in 116 AD. It's already almost 100 years uh, after the fact. And his most likely source would have been his buddy, Pliny the Younger. Pliny the Younger was governing a province uh, right near where Tacitus was, and they were exchanging letters on their histories. And we know Pliny didn't know anything about Christians and, and interrogated some Christians, and, and he says, oh, I was just some ridiculous superstition, and that they worship this God named Christ. He doesn't give any details about historical Jesus or anything like that. But that's the most likely place Tacitus would have learned it. So there would have been Christians talking to Pliny, and those Christians would have been repeating the Gospels at him. So Tacitus doesn't really corroborate the Gospels. He's just, basically all he attests is that the Gospels were circulating by that time, which we already know is true. Uh, and so, uh, so th I mean, that's really, you could stop there, but there's actually evidence to suggest, uh, quite a lot of evidence actually, to suggest that Tacitus never wrote that, that that one line about Christ being uh, crucified by Pontius Pilate was actually inserted later. It may have been inserted deliberately, it's possible, uh, but it might also have been inserted by accident because there's a very common error we know in, in uh, manuscript transmission where scholars will like write a line a note or something to themselves in the margins of a book. You know, if you own a book and if you probably yourself may have scribbled, you know, your own little notes and words in the margins of the book. But when books were hand copied, that looked exactly the same way as accidentally omitted text. So if a scribe left a line out, they would put it in the margins. And then when it gets copied again, they put it back in. But those, those notes often look identical. So oftentimes these little scholarly notes to themselves get inserted because the the next scribe thinks that that was accidentally omitted text. And so they think they're fixing the text by putting it back in. They don't realize that that's not actually original text. And so we have lots and lots of examples of this happening in texts all throughout ancient the ancient world. Um, and so that, that could have happened in this case because it is one short brief line. It's fairly simple. It could have been someone thinking, well, this must be the Christians. And so he puts the line, sort of a, a friendly note to someone, but oh, this is the Christ that was executed by Pontius Pilate. Um, but that might not have been the case. It might have originally been the case that Tacitus was, I not, did not talk about Christ specifically, uh, or he was talking about a completely different group, Christians, which were actually this Jewish messianic group that were not related to the Christians. We don't really know, right? So the, the evidence, the original evidence, the original manuscripts, all of this stuff have been lost. We don't have early quotations of Tacitus, no one discussing it. So we don't know. Um, but the, the evidence is very suspicious. And so the, the whole passage is, only, is marginally useful, actually, in the long run. What do you what do you think about um, David Fitzgerald's angle, where he talks about um, different people who actually fits in some sense the career of this biblical? Well, I don't know if career is the best word to use, but to say um, the historical value yeah. of, of those real people who we find who is there's documentation of, and if you mm -hmm. look pieces of out of their um their lives, like Jesus Benanias. How do you feel about him? I think that's who Bart Ehrman, if I remember correctly, feels might fit the, the, the Jesus guy or the Jesus of the gospel. Yeah, I mean, Ehrman probably didn't say that that 
is the origin of the legend of Jesus um, or the origin of Christianity. It's a different Jesus for sure. Um, now this, this other guy, his name is Jesus Ben Ananias. Uh, and he was this, this Jewish kind of like this crazy guy who was apocalyptic prophet, but he, he lived in, in, and was, you know, tried under the uh, procurator of Judea or the prefect of Judea in the sixties AD. So this is like 30 years after Christianity had already been uh, created and was being spread all over. Um, so it's a different guy, and he gets killed by uh, an artillery stone, crushes him uh, by the walls of Jerusalem during the siege of Jerusalem. Uh, but there's there's a lot of points of similarity in the the trial and crucifixion record of Jesus, where there's plot lines, plot points basically are taken. There's about twenty different plot points that are in the same order uh, between his story and the and the Jesus story that gets up ends up in the Gospel of Mark. So uh, there have been several scholars uh, who've written peer reviewed articles arguing that it does look like. Um, when Mark was composing it, he needed to come up with a story of Jesus. He borrowed this story of Jesus Ben Ananias for part of his his uh, storyline, and so he used that. Um, now that that just means that the the gospel legend of Jesus is partly based on Jesus Ben Ananias, but Jesus Ben Ananias had nothing to do with Christianity. He wasn't a, he didn't, wasn't the founder of Christianity. He wasn't a Christian himself. Uh, and there are other examples of that. When we know, for example, Mark and especially Matthew. Uh, and then later, uh, Luke, uh, are using Moses and Elijah and Elisha as models. So a lot of the, the storyline of Jesus is actually just a rewrite of Moses, Elijah, and Elisha. Um, and we know they're borrowing other ideas from other people from the time. And there are a variety of these other messianic figures, um, of other people uh, who are not, uh, Christians, um, who had similar storylines where they would like make these predictions, they would end up getting themselves killed in the long run. And so, um, so it was, it, there are similarities, and there are probably a bunch of different people that were used as models to assemble the fictional Jesus later, which is true even if there was a historical Jesus, because uh, the, the stories about Jesus are still fiction, are still mythical, um, even if there was a real Jesus they were writing about. <coughs> ah, excuse me. Hey, bless you, bless you. <laughs> Old-fashioned bless you. Um, <laughs> Um, let's look at, um, someone, actually somebody already asked about Jesus Ben Ananias, but what do you, what do you have to say about the whole Christus and Christians thing? Because I noticed, um, in the prophet, but he, he lived in, in, and was, you know, tried under the uh, procurator of Judea or the prefect of Judea in the sixties AD. So this is like 30 years after Christianity had already been uh, created and was being spread all over. Um, so it's a different guy, and he gets killed by uh, an artillery stone, crushes him uh, by the walls of Jerusalem during the siege of Jerusalem. Uh, but there's there's a lot of points of similarity in the the trial and crucifixion record of Jesus, where there's plot lines, plot points basically are taken. There's about twenty different plot points that are in the same order uh, between his story and the and the Jesus story that gets up ends up in the Gospel of Mark. So uh, there have been several scholars uh, who've written peer reviewed articles arguing that it does look like. Um, when Mark was composing it, he needed to come up with a story of Jesus. He borrowed this story of Jesus Ben Ananias for part of his, his, uh, storyline. And so he used that. Um, now that, that just means that the, the gospel legend of Jesus is partly based on Jesus Ben Ananias, but Jesus Ben Ananias had nothing to do with Christianity. He wasn't a, he didn't, wasn't the founder of Christianity. He wasn't a Christian himself. Uh, and there are other examples of that. When we know, for example, Mark and especially Matthew, uh, and then later, uh, Luke, uh, are using Moses and Elijah and Elisha 
as models. So a lot of the, the storyline of Jesus is actually just a rewrite of Moses, Elijah, and Elisha. Um, and we know they're borrowing other ideas from other people from the time. And there are a variety of these other messianic figures um, of other people uh, who were not uh, Christians um, who had similar storylines where they would like make these predictions, they would end up getting themselves killed in the long run. And so, um, so it was, it, there are similarities and there are probably a bunch of different people that were used as models to assemble the fictional Jesus later, which is true even if there was a historical Jesus, because uh, the, the stories about Jesus are still fiction, are still mythical, um, even if there was a real Jesus they were writing about. <coughs> ah, excuse me. Hey, bless you, bless you. <laughs> Old-fashioned bless you. Um, <laughs> um, let's look at um, someone, actually somebody already asked about Jesus Ben Anias, but what do, you, what do you have to say about the whole Christus and Christians thing? Because I noticed um, in the Codex Sinaiticus, they have um, Christians instead of Christians for all the references to Christians. Is it, yeah, really, it's, uh, is it a big deal? Is it a big deal? Not really. I don't think so. Um, there was it's, it's a there was a shift in the dialect, the actual spoken dialect of Greek, where uh, the accenting of Greek was changing, and so uh, the letters eta and the letters yoda started sounding very similar. So you find a lot of switching between them uh, in texts. So uh, so uh, Christians would actually be what they would audibly hear when they see. Christians, but not realizing that those are two different words. So, uh, so that kind of crept into the evidence here and there. Uh, but I don't think that's that's significant. We also know there was a group uh, who was following this other guy named Crestus. So there would have been Crestians, which is a different group. So there's there could easily be confusion between these two different groups. Uh, we don't have enough of the primary evidence to actually sort this out as to where and when all this stuff started getting mixed up and confused. Yeah, because I think Tertullian. Um, had, had wrote about you know at times people were referring to Christians instead of Christians and and all that stuff. So it obviously yeah. was a, was an issue. It obviously was. Yeah. Um, what do you think about Tertullian um, disavowing from Christianity of what he would call Christianity in that day? Because I don't think Christianity in that 200 AD is the same as what we would probably call oh. it today. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Oh think yeah, yeah. Uh, there are a lot of ways in which the Christianity that Tertullian was selling was not the Christianity of Paul, for example, the, or, or even the Christianity of the original apostles. Like Paul's Christianity was not the original Christianity. I mean, Paul is saying you don't have to be a Jew to be a Christian, and that, that was a radical new idea. That wasn't the idea that the first apostles were teaching. They, they were teaching you could only be a Christian if you converted to Judaism, which meant you had to circumcise yourself, you had to follow Jewish dietary laws. Uh, you basically had to become a Jew, uh, otherwise you weren't a real Christian. And the Gospel of Matthew is written by this sect of Christians who actually don't like this idea that you can be a Christian without being a Jew. So the Gospel of Matthew kind of rewrites Mark and has Jesus say, no, you, you've got to, all the, every single bit of the law is still going to keep going on. You can't actually skip it. Uh, so you actually, it's really kind of like portraying this idea that you, you have to be a Jew actually to be a Christian. The book of Revelation is another example. That that's written by the same faction. They're, they're not pro-Gentile Christian. They're very much, you, you want to be saved, you want to be a Christian, you've got to be a Jew. Okay. All right. So let's take a look at some of the issues here. What about um, Suetonius and um, about, he? I think he had talked about something to do with Christ, and he's one of the people that many people like to bring up. What do you think about Suetonius? 
and um, what's the guy in the second century that followed Glycon's thing? I forgot his name. Oh, that'd be Lucian of Samosata. There you go. What do you think yeah, about yeah. those? Uh, well, Lucian, that's not useful because Lucian's writing in the 160s AD. So this is already over 100 years later. And it's clear his source of information is only the Gospels and what Christians are claiming then. He, he had no other access to any first century information. Uh, so so he, he, all he's doing is repeating what Christians were telling him, and they're just repeating what their gospel said. So uh, we can't really cite Lucian for any useful information other than for information about what Christianity was preaching in the 160s AD. Um, and uh, Lucian, by the way, was the best friend of Celsus, who wrote the first that we know of, the first uh, monumental treatise against Christianity, which the Christians destroyed. And we only know pieces of it, quotations of it, through Origen, the Christian scholar Origen uh, in the third century, because he quotes Celsus in his book against Celsus. The, his refutation was preserved, and so we have some of the quotations of the original uh, critique, but the original critique is, was destroyed, was gone. Uh, but Solution knew Celsus, and we can tell from Celsus, all of Celsus's information comes entirely from the canonical gospels, the four, the four gospels. He has no other information. He's getting it from nowhere else. So we know that, that they're, they're not, they don't have access to any independent information. Beautiful. When um, we look at uh, Suetonius, so Suetonius is writing about 120 AD, and he, there's two references that people point to. One, he just says Nero persecuted the Christians. He doesn't say anything about Jesus or anything more specific. Uh, and then there's a passage where he talks about Crestus, this Jewish riot uh, instigator in Rome under Claudius. This is about 20 years after Christianity began, after G the, our Jesus would be dead. Uh, and it's very clear that uh, Suetonius knows what Christian knows about Christians. He talks about them in another passage, but he does not clearly know anything about Jesus Christ as the Judean uh, founder of Christianity. He he's writing about some other guy named Crestus who was alive twenty in Rome, not in Judea, and instigating riots there. And he was very much associated with Judaism. So Suetonius thinks that this is a Jewish rioter. Uh, so clearly, Suetonius didn't have any. Uh, reliable information about Jesus either. At least certainly doesn't record any. Hey, um, what do you think? This is a little bit, it's on topic. It's around the time period, about 70 AD and the exiles. Um, a lot of writings have come out recently. There was a book called The Myth of the Exile and some other writings, even Shomo um, San in his book about the Jews um, being not the true Jews or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I haven't heard about this. This is new to, news Solo, to me. Solomon. <laughs> What's his name? Shalomo Sand. Um, what's the name of his book? Let me find it right now. I was actually reading a piece of it earlier, too. Let me um, tell you what his name of his book is. He actually is a well-hated man in Israel right now. <laughs> his the name invent of the book, The Invention of, invention the, Jewish of the Jewish People. I just looked it up. Uh, no, I've not, I've not read this. Shalomo Sand, yeah. The Invention of the Jewish People. Yeah, he um, you know, he wrote on a lot of stuff of how there was a lot of converts with the Carthaginians yeah. and so forth. He's a professor at Tel Aviv University. It's interesting. Um, no, I haven't read it, so I don't know uh, anything about it. But what, what does he say in this? Well, he basically talks about that the people who are in Israel today are not the real Jews. Like, like um, genetically, you couldn't trace them back to the people that were there. These people who moved back to Israel. He's saying majority of them, uh, if not all of them, are basically converts. So he broke down the Carthaginians oh, and the Phoenicians. Okay. You know, because the Jewish religion had a lot to do with trade, and that the, the, the Hebrew language had a lot to do with trade, and you know the, um, the Jews were the well, yeah, right. So when you have the exiles, you have a lot of uh, interracial marriage and stuff going on. So yeah, um, and there were a lot of converts. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I can't really comment on the validity right. of his argument because I, I don't know the evidence he's presented. You know what um, you just did though, Richard? You just what? did something that my community needs to see. You just said <laughs> that you have not read his book, so you won't comment on his book. And a lot of us <laughs> in our community, we like to talk about stuff we haven't read. So <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you actually did. I'm glad you just did that. Well, keep on, brother. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, that's it. I mean, I, so, but it is, it, it sounds initially plausible in a way that other things I've heard are, don't sound plausible at all. Now the, um, the current mainstream consensus is that what we mean by Jews are actually just a tribe of Canaanites that were always there and just basically wiped out the other Canaanites. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes like, how far back do you have to go to be quote unquote? community. <laughs> Peace, family. Peace, peace, peace. Let me join the conversation. How y'all doing? Um, I do want to say, um, let me talk about Grandy real quick and I get right back to that. All right. Who is Moses Grandy, by the way? Who is Moses Grandy family? Moses Grandy was an African-American author, ab- abolitionist, and for more than the first four decades of his life, an enslaved person. So basically, Moses Grandy of course, again, somebody who was a part of the slave trade that people are saying never happened. This image is a slave coffee where men, women, and children are bound. Okay, Grandy was hired out by James Grandy when he was 10. The second man he worked for, Jeremy Cope, beat him so severely for not healing corn as he wanted it at the sapling, broke off in his side. Enoch Sawyer, an owner of large tracts of land in Passaquantank and Camden counties, fed him so little that Grandy ground corners into flour for food. By 15, he was managing ferry crossings of a swampy river in Camden, North Carolina at Sawyer's Ferry. He was in charge of poling and sculling and cabling the ferry. He lived on Sawyer's plantation, placed his bare feet in heated mud from the hog's nighttime slumber for warmth, visited his mother who lived in a cabin in a remote area, non-arable land outside of Camden after she became too infirm to work. The money that was made through Moses Grandy's work was received and held for James Grandy until he turned 21 years of age. All right, so this is another guy. Eventually, he became free. Having papers that proved he was free, he moved to Providence, Rhode Island. All right, so check it out. Let's look it up, Moses Grandy. And of course, he published a book, The Narrative of the Life of Moses Grandy, late a slave in the United States of America. All right, all right, peace and love. So if you didn't know who Moses Grandy is, now you can look it up. All right, so let's get back to this interview for a second here. I want to play one small part that he just mentioned who the Canaanites are. We like to talk about stuff we haven't read. So <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you actually did. I'm glad you just did that. Well, keep on, brother. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, that's it. I mean, I, so, but it is, it, it sounds initially plausible in a way that other things I've heard are, don't sound plausible at all. Now, the, um, the current mainstream consensus is that what we mean by Jews are actually just a tribe of Canaanites that were always there and just basically wiped out the other Canaanites. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes like, how far back do you have to go to be quote unquote an authentic one? Because nothing in the Old Testament actually happened, or at least nothing in the, the Pentateuch, so the first mm-hmm. five books of the Bible actually happened. So there was no Abraham, there was no Moses, uh, like all of the stuff that you think is like fundamental Judaism Jews didn't really exist in that sense because th- those stories are fake. Um, and they were written hundreds of these arguments because I, I don't know the evidence he's presented. You know what um, you just did though, Richard? You just what? did something that- What we mean by Jews are actually just a tribe of kings. 
Yeah. Uh, no, that. All right. Let me play. Let me play it over again so you guys could hear this real carefully. That's it. I mean, I so, but it is. It, it sounds initially plausible in a way that other things I've heard are, don't sound plausible at all. Now the um, the current mainstream consensus is that what we mean by Jews are actually just a tribe of Canaanites that were always there and just basically wiped out the other Canaanites. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes like, how far back do you have to go to be quote unquote an authentic one? Because nothing in the Old Testament actually happened, or at least nothing in the, the Pentateuch, so the first mm -hmm. five books of the Bible actually happened. So there was no Abraham, there was no Moses, uh, like all of this stuff that you think is like fundamental Judaism. Jews didn't really exist in that sense because th those stories are fake, um, and they were written hundreds of years later. So, so where, what, what, who would want? How far back would you need to go to say like, oh, that real Jew? You're only a real Jew if you go back this far. Um, I don't know. It starts to become meaningless. It's kind of like the, the the southern attempt to define in the U.S. to define black as if you have even one drop of African blood, then you're a black man, and like, yeah, uh, that's everybody. You just said you never read his book, but basically what you just said is what is in his book. Okay, yeah. Well, That's no, all, all I said is it's plausible. <laughs> now, whether whether he makes the case with evidence or not, um, that that's different. But uh, but yeah. Um, now, the um, the current mainstream consensus is that what we mean by Jews are actually just a tribe of Canaanites that were always there and just basically wiped out the other Canaanites. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes like, how far back do you have to go to be quote unquote an authentic one? Because nothing in the Old Testament actually happened, or at least nothing in the, the Pentateuch, so the first mm -hmm. five books of the Bible, actually happened. So there was no Abraham, there was no Moses, uh, like all of this stuff that you think is like fundamental Judaism. Jews didn't really exist in that sense, because th those stories are fake. Um, and they were written hundreds of years later. So so where, what, what, who would want, how far back would you need to go to say like, oh, that real Jew, you're only a real Jew if you go back this far. Um, I don't know. It starts to become meaningless. It's kind of like the, the the southern attempt to define in the U.S. to define black as if you even one drop of African blood, then you're a black man. And like, yeah, uh, and that's everybody. You just said you never read his book, but basically what you just said is what is in his book. Now the um, the current mainstream. The reason why I'm playing it over because everybody knows Richard Carrier is a well disciplined scholar he's a new testament scholar by the way he's not an old testament scholar but he does do a lot of old testament studies based on the fact that he does cross comparison studies between cultures in the ancient near east now garfield is not making this up and the reason why i did this interview i got almost what twelve thousand views but the reason why i did this interview because for a lot of people you got to look at methodology how people reach to a conclusion and where, my, where I'm personally at a crossroads is I can't see how they actually come up with a conclusion that they do in a consensus of the New Testament. I can't. I really can't. And, 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 and if you look at the methodology, it's, it's craziness. But it's a consensus right now. All right? But anyway, listen to this one more time. Now, the, um, the current mainstream consensus is that what we mean by Jews are actually just a tribe of Canaanites that were always there and just basically wiped out the other Canaanites. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes like, how far back do you have to go to be quote unquote an authentic one? Because nothing in the Old Testament actually happened, or at least nothing in the, the Pentateuch, so the first mm -hmm. five books of the Bible actually happened. So 
there was no Abraham. There was no Moses. Uh, like all of the stuff you think is like fundamental Judaism, Jews didn't really exist in that sense because th those stories are fake. Um, and they were written hundreds of years later. So, so where, what, who would want, how far back would you need to go to say like, oh, that real Jew, you're only a real Jew if you go back this far. Um, I don't know, it starts to become meaningless. It's kind of like the, the, the Southern attempt to define, in the US to define black as if you have even one drop of African blood, then you're a black man. And you're like, yeah, uh, that's I mean, everybody. You just said you never read his book, but basically what you just said is what is in his book. Okay, yeah. Well, That's no, amazing. all I said is it's plausible. Now, whether whether he makes the case with evidence or not, um, that that's different. But uh, but yeah, um, but yeah, no, it's it's so yeah, it's a question of like how far back do you got to go? Certainly, there's a lot of missing. Um, the question is how much, and then like what would it even mean to say like you're not a real Jew uh, in modern Israel um, if you you're going to have descendants, you're going to have genes from. That go that far back, you know. It's like you—you you actually might. It's—it's it's like saying um, you're not a real African if you don't have exactly the same genetic code of current modern-day Africans. But, um, but no, if you have genes that go back there, you've got ancestors that go back there, like that. That so that, so that becomes the question of what? Well, how much DNA do you have to have of of what model? Like, what is he saying is like the fundamental requirement? So there are a lot of questions I have about how he gets to that statement. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, there are plausibilities in there, and it, so it's certainly an argument worth looking at. Do you think the argument of, um, I think it was Frank Zindler, he had printed out a back and forth he had with Bart Ehrman, and they were talking about the, 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 um, the place called Nazareth. Yeah. And I think one of his arguments, is, is, which was a good argument, is that Josephus actually named the towns, I think, in Galilee, all of them, and Nazareth was um, not one because actually... I mean, we're going to get into Josephus a little bit more after this, but what do you feel about that argument about the place called Nazareth not existing? Yeah, I, I don't find that convincing there. I think there's sufficient evidence to believe that Nazareth did exist. Um, <clears throat> and all of the arguments against it are, are not logically sound arguments. Now, it's possible it didn't exist. We don't have slam dunk evidence that there was a Nazareth in the time of Jesus. Um, but I don't think the evidence against it is particularly strong. To case in point is Josephus, who was a general. He actually was a governor of Galilee uh, in the um, 60s AD. Um, he says there are like 200 towns in Galilee, but in his, the course of his writings, he only names 70 of them, something like 70. So there's 130 towns he didn't name. So Nazareth could easily be one of those. Uh, so, so that's not a particularly strong argument. That's an example of a, that's not a good argument from science. Right, right. Hey, let me let me say this also regarding that Nazareth point. I don't think I'm saying or he's saying that the place didn't exist. I think he's saying that the name didn't exist. But you just enlightened me on something. I, I well, was the same thing. Uh, well, we know it did because we have now. There have been attempts to sort of claim this is a forgery, but there's no evidence that's the case. We found a uh, an inscription which records a text of all the houses, all the towns that took in Jewish priests when the temple was destroyed. Now that means 70 AD, because there was no temple after 70 AD and no priesthood. So um, the priests had to be dispersed. They lived in the temple originally, but now the temple's gone, Jerusalem has been raised. And so they had to be taken in. And so there were a, a list of towns that took in uh, these priests and Nazareth, the spelling and everything is actually in Hebrew, is on this list as one of the towns that took in priests. Now this text has to originate 
in the 70s AD. So, uh, so that means there was a town named Nazareth in the 70s AD in Judea or in that area that could take in priests. And it was not, it couldn't be too hick, like it was large enough or, or successful enough that priests would deign to settle there. So, um, so it, it seems very unlikely that that town could have just suddenly been made after 30 AD, for example, or, or, or in the first century. It's possible though, it's possible Nazareth was created or re-inhabited uh, in the lifetime of Jesus and Jesus just wasn't born there, or it was inhabited, re-inhabited and rebuilt up shortly after Jesus died. Like we, we, that's possible, but we just don't have evidence confirming this storyline. So I, I, don't, I don't think that's a strong argument. So I don't think there's a strong argument that even if Jesus existed, that he was born at Nazareth. I find that also a weak argument. So this idea that we can argue that Jesus didn't exist if Nazareth didn't exist is not true because we know mainstream scholars agree that Jesus wasn't born at Bethlehem either. So uh, it, it doesn't matter whether the towns exist or not. The, these authors are putting them in their gospels to match prophecy. Matthew says that there was some sort of scripture that he had access to that said Jesus would be a Nazorian. And so he says that's why he was believed to be uh, from Nazareth. And so they're actually looking for towns to sort of assign to him through scriptures rather than actual remembered history. So I don't think the historicity of Nazareth is actually even relevant to the historicity of Jesus. I don't think even if there was a Jesus, I don't think he was born in Nazareth either. Um, whether there was a Nazareth or not, therefore it doesn't matter. All right, good point, good point. All right, let's get to some um, some stuff that the, the audience is asking real quickly. Um, let me see here. Now we don't wanna talk about, so Abraham didn't exist, okay, all right. All right, let's, I gotta go to one of my questions then <laughs> because I don't see any questions in the chat. All right, so when you look at the um, the consensus regarding the existence of Jesus, um, I remember um, Josephus talked about four different groups that existed, and I think it was around 53 AD, he was writing um, on the different groups of Christians that existed, and I think, the groups, am I, am I, it was like a fourth group. Am I mixing oh, up okay, no, here, I, yeah, I know, where, I know where you're going. Um, right. So Josephus writes about sects of Jews, mm -hmm. uh, and he says there are four major sects of Jews. We know there are actually about 10 to 30 different sects with Judaism, um, but most of them are minor and fringe, and, and Josephus just says, well, the big four, the big major ones are the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, and what, uh, what he calls the fourth philosophy, which we now dub the zealots, which are these kind of like political radicals. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he, he tells us about their teachings. He tells us about something about them and and features them in his in his histories, um, which is one of the reasons I think that he, he never mentioned Christianity, really. Uh, there's a paragraph about Jesus in the Antiquities of the Jews. Um, it's, uh, it's the only place where he mentions Christianity specifically. There's one other passage. Um, where he supposedly references a James, the brother of a so-called Christ. But uh, there are reasons to doubt that passage too. But the, the main one, the big paragraph, is clearly a forgery. Um, there's been tons of evidence, uh, and more and more evidence has accumulated over time. So like even the last, since 2014, uh, multiple articles have been published uh, further sealing the deal that this, this paragraph is not written by Josephus. But one of the reasons we know that among, like, uh, like 50 reasons that we know that this wasn't written by Josephus is that he doesn't describe the teachings of this sect. Uh, this is what he does when he runs into a sect of Jews and wants to talk about them. He describes their beliefs and actually talks about the sect in a certain particular way. 
He doesn't do that in this paragraph. So this paragraph clearly was not written by Josephus. If he was, if he was to write about Christianity, he would have written about what beliefs they had, how they fit into this picture uh, of the four major sects of Judaism and so on. He, he would have integrated this into his history, but the paragraph doesn't do that. It's just sort of this sort of little tiny encapsulated creedal statement that, that could only come from the hand of Christian. All right, I have a question in the chat. Ask Dr. Carrier if he's still looking to debate Bart Ehrman. I would indeed. Um, uh, Bart Ehrman has said he won't debate me because I'm too mean. Uh, I don't, obviously he's not looked at any of my actual debates and I've done tons. Many of these debates are available. You can find them on YouTube and so forth. Uh, no, in debates, I have a particular mode of scholarly operation and uh, calm seriousness. Uh, and uh, so there isn't any reason for him to think that I'm going to be mean to him, other than the fact that I am going to actually refute some of the things he says, uh, which I think is the real thing that concerns him. Uh, so, yeah, uh, he did debate Robert Price, and I wrote a review showing how that debate went awry and how actually a lot of things Ehrman said are actually false and that Price didn't challenge him on, but uh, I would certainly have challenged him on those things. And, and it's entirely possible Ehrman doesn't want to be challenged on those things, and that's one of the main reasons why he doesn't want to debate me. When I read his book, um, um, Did Jesus Exist? And, and then I, I, I read your book and how you critiqued it in that second chapter in that book, the compilation with different people. Um, yes. The late, late D.M. Murdoch, who's called Achara S., Yes, um, Robert Price, a couple other people. Zindler as well, yeah. And I, I noticed, and I'm looking at all the things that you pointed out that he made errors in, and I'm like, whoa, I would have never even looked at these. And of, of course, you you know, you, you're, you're, a, you're a guy who have your PhD and you know how to dissect things probably better than anybody else in this field. But what do you feel, one of the things that a lot of Christians hold on to is Ignatius. Ignatius ah, yes. and, and, and the fact that he was traveling, I thought your explanation is, is just superb. But going, going a little bit on Ignatius. Ah, yeah, there's a, a lot to say about this. Probably um, one of the best things. So for people who want to find... All right, let me, let me stop right there for a minute. Um, hey, peace and love, man. I got my brother, my big brother, my ancient crocodile worshiping. <laughs> let me stop. Uh, what's up, brother? Um, how you doing, man? Hey, Unc, you there, brother? Let me see if I could hear you. I know you're driving. I know you're driving and you're chipping out. I don't know what's going on though. All right, so he's gonna go come out and come back in. When my brother come back in, I'm gonna put him back in. But let's see what he got to say about Ignatius. Find out more about my work uh, and my books and everything. Um, Twitter feed, Facebook feed, all of that. Go to richardcarrier.info. That's .info. Uh, and at richardcarrier.info, it's my blog. It's got all the other stuff too, links to my books and things. Um, but I have a blog there about, um, I, I can't remember the exact title, but it's how did Christianity or how did Christianity switch to a historical Jesus? Uh, and one of the things, in fact, you could probably type in Ignatius uh, in the search screen and it'll probably bring this article up because I have a section on Ignatius where I really focus in on this as why it's actually suspicious and weird. Uh, now, Ignatius is an author who claims, in, in the current text, version of the text we have, that there are multiple versions of the Ignatian text. So there are people doctoring and forging uh, and altering Ignatian material over time. So we actually have multiple different versions 
so, so this is not a very reliably transmitted text already. Let's get so we're already on our on alert for uh, suspicions here. Uh, but in the text, uh, the main text that we have preserved, uh, it basically says uh, it references the fact that he was writing under the reign of Trajan. I figured it out, Garfield. You figured it out? What what was it, bro? I think when it connects to the car, it won't allow the two things. That's crazy, you know. I mean, it's crazy as hell. So, okay, uh, who's it, uh, Doctor? Uh, what's going you, you talking to? That was uh, Richard, Richard, yeah, Richard Carrier. So, so this absolutely proves what I was saying the whole time that most people can have a conversation with a scholar, right, or with a anthropologist or paleontologist or someone who teaches evolution at that level and have a, a, a conversation you know what i'm saying like like a working conversation showing that you have command of the material and so this interview was really a showcasing of your talent it's a showcasing of what we all realize and been saying for a long time don't fuck with garfield if you ain't at the level of some type of doctoral program. Don't do it to yourself. It's gonna get real ugly in there. So, you know, I appreciate you actually, you know, playing that. And the funny part about it is all of us can have these same types of conversations in our field of study with people that are in the field. We've all proved it and demonstrated it. So that's why when people come with the blah, blah, bloom, blam, blam, you know, it, you know they get in trouble. So your man, your main man, Pastor Bennett, I think for the first time he got a chance to really experience, you know what I'm saying, your level of expertise and said subject. And being as though he's familiar with the things that you're saying or, or he has a familiarity with the Bible, he recognizes that he's outmatched, right? Now, as for the science part, he has no understanding of what science is at all. So he hasn't taken the time to really figure out what science is. And so you killed him, right? But he been was dead when it came to science. Two, three conversations ago. But he's so ignorant of what science is and what it's not in scientific terms and so busy trying to refute it that he doesn't even know he's the walking dead. He doesn't even know he's been knocked off. So once you finish with him, bringing his game all the way up, then maybe he'll realize that the conversations we had no matter what the Baptist preachers have to say and the religious amongst us have to say, once he gets a command of knowing what science is and what science is not, he will have to do like the Catholic Church did. They have to concede. You have to do what most intelligent Christians do. They understand that science has shown proved the age of the universe. They also show and prove that evolution is not only a fact, but it's also a theory. This has been shown and proved. So the intelligent Christians and the intelligent Muslims and Jews, right? They all agree. Only the ignorant amongst them would actually disagree. So yeah, bro, I just wanted to, you know, kind of throw it out there, let the people know that it's called a game shit right there, bro. Mm -hmm. they hey, to, um, um, it's a level. Hey, um, Jeshurun, Jeshurun. I don't know if I pronounce your name. Hit me up in the email, man. Hit me up in the email. Hit me up in the email. DaggerSquad1 at gmail.com. All right? All right. Um, hey, Pastor Bennett in the building, by the way. 
if you didn't know, he's in the building. He's in the um in the in the in the chat. He's like, I don't know what I did to Unk, man. No, that's not that wasn't hate. He was what's just, yeah, I, was, I don't think that was hate. Nah, what are you um, talking about? Past the minute yeah, saying, delusional. I don't know what I did to Unk. He's delusional, <laughs> man. Like, you know how a person is really delusional, yo? Like when you strung out on crack, you swear, what are my family doing? We're trying to get you off the crack, Pastor. You know what I'm saying? Like, you ain't did nothing to me. You just showed that you do not have a command of science of what you're talking about. That's all. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we never listen to the peanut gallery. So we might get, what well, we average about maybe thousand comments on the video sometimes. Mm -hmm. doing a you know what I'm saying? So I'm not going to look at the 10 comments and critique my whole thing on that. You got a whole thousand comments. You know what I'm saying? like, And I'm not even going to look at the thousand comments that said I did, did a good job. I like to deal with the people that try to critique and say what I could have did better on conversations I had with people. I like to look at that. I never look at, I never get you high, I never get you low. But one thing I do know for sure and for certain that Pastor Bennett has a better command of the Bible until he talks to you than he does with understanding scientific concepts and scientific consensus and all these things he doesn't know because he won't take the time to read and study. So no one's mad at Pastor Bennett for doing what he do, and no one's mad for the many Christians that will agree with that. Who the hell, how can I be mad at the ignorant? I don't mean in a negative way. I mean, ignorant in a, in a sense of you do not know, nor do you understand. You know what I'm saying? You know, we asked the magical question, Garfield. Mm -hmm. Who created science? And all scientists will say human beings. Science comes out of the minds, right? And exploration of human beings. And then we ask the religious the same question. Who created religion? Right? They'll say man did, but man didn't create the idea of God. They will argue you that they will argue the last compound. You know what I mean, Garfield? I mean, completely argue you down about that. And and that shows their command of not, you know, really, 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 really understanding. Yeah, you know I mean, like, come on, man. Like, we can all agree that human beings created the endeavor of science, philosophy, religion. They created all ideas of God. That's why God is made like a human being because it's coming out of my God. God can't think no more than the man and the woman that created God. You, you, you get what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying, Garfield? Yep, yep. That's not up for argument. Like any reasonable thinking person. Just has to admit that man created science and man created God. Now, the thing to do is, is to actually try to figure out, like, okay, so based off him doing that, so the next point would be, okay, so what, what would be more effective for, say, building a skyscraper? Or what would be more effective for, say, building character? You know what I'm saying? Like, or what would be more effective for, for teaching uh, a culture? That's the points we need to really talk about but it's no debate over whether you know science technology is best fit to build a strong uh, uh competing community like everybody know for medicine and all everything we deal with medicine engineering uh the understanding of nature religion is not built for understanding religion it's not built for that it's not even made for that religion is built for understanding what we will call the supernatural world religion seeks to understand and tell you about the unprovable. You know what I'm saying? It seeks to prove what you can believe. That's it. And that's cool. Because, you know, whether I like it or not, human beings need to have something to believe in. 
That's just part of our evolutionary process. That belief is a central tenet in being a human. So, you know what I mean? I can say that and beat my chest and, 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 and be truthful about it. But if you don't understand evolution, you wouldn't even understand that statement, bro. Hey, Pastor Bennett, you could call in, or if you want the link, I could put the link in the chat. You could come on and 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 um, because Uncle's driving, so you know he's gonna rant and do what he say. He's on. You're getting unfiltered right now. You're getting unfiltered, Unc. You ain't getting. Oh, don't say that, Unc. Don't, you ain't get that, Unc, today. You're getting unfiltered, Unc. Um, hey, let me say this by the way too about the pastor though. What I will say this about the pastor though. I think he's a cut above the rest though. I think he's a cut above the rest because we could actually have a conversation. But Pastor Bennett is calling in right now. But the thing that the problem that we're gonna have is that I'm gonna have to he can't hear you. So Pastor Bennett, you're gonna have to have your thing on so you could hear Unk's response. But who could hear you? Unk could hear you. But go ahead, Pastor Bennett. All right. Let me well give me one second and let me put my earphones in so we don't cut off so I can hear him. Hey, Garfield. Peace, peace, Aunt. What's going on, brother, man? How you doing? Peace, brother, Garfield. Hey, peace, brother. Listen, are you putting the earpiece of what you're listening to? So yeah. you Okay, so you could hear Unk. All right, cool. All right. So I, I hear him. I don't know what type of delay it is, though. All right, but go ahead. Uh, go ahead, though. Go ahead, Pastor. Okay, cool. So, so, um... Let me say this. The um the issue like I don't have an issue with science. Science is true, it's real. It's, in, it's like please understand that I'm not in denial about science. And then also as a man, a pa past me pastoring is my calling. It's what I do. I haven't been a pastor all my life, though. I'm human. I understand the way the world works. I understand science. I don't have to understand it better than God feels to know that it's real. I don't have to understand it better than I to know that it's true. My issue is not with science. I think that's what I got to get. I agree when Ock said, man created science. I don't even have a problem and admitted it in our conversation when I said, we, um, that man wrote the Bible, that, that man fixed religion, that all, all of those things. But my problem is when people say things like that and then suggest that to me, it can't be true or isn't true or isn't real because man did it. The animals, most, I agrees with this, the animals were here before us, right? But the animals don't record history. The animals don't record, don't write down what has happened. You see what I'm saying? So, so human beings being the one that write down what the experience of life has been does not diminish the validity and the realness of what you're writing about or talking about. Right? So that's just on a general. I ain't even talking Christianity when I talk that. I'm just talking about on a general sense. The mountains don't record their own history. The mountains don't tell us. I'm, I'm speaking as far as writing it down and tell human beings, hey, this is how long I've been here. 
so when we're talking about writing, man writing this, a man making this up, that's what it's the same thing for science. Only thing that I'm saying that I'm gonna let I want to hear what Uncle Garfield has to say. Only thing is what I'm saying is science is the study of what was already here. So even if man made up science or man makes up the method, method methodology of how they study scientifically, it does not exempt that these things were here before us. So we are learning, right? We are learning about how the world worked. But the world was working before we started learning. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Does that portion make sense? Before we even get into all the religious talk and all of that stuff. Yeah, cut them off. And I'm not just saying And it's absolute need in understanding the world. But that the fact that that man is up not discredit. Hold on. Yeah, let me respond right. to that. Hold on. Yeah. I hear you when you're talking. Hold on. Let me get this up here. Hold on, Unc. All right, go ahead, Unc. So, okay. Um, what you didn't hear him say is that man created religion, right? And the key figure in religion is God. So that means man created God too. Or at least created the idea of God. Let's say that. So we won't, you know, make him start buck dancing. So we know that man created the idea of God. How do we know? Because you can go to different, many places from Australia, Native American, to Louisiana, to uh, Chow, southern tip of uh, South America. You can go to Mesoamerica. You can go to Russia. You can go to England. You can go to uh, 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 the Catskills. You know, indigenous, talk to all indigenous people. And they all have an idea or a concept that they have developed around this thing that creates or whatever it does. So we know that. Man does this. It's not one consensus on what this is. Another mistake he made. The mountains absolutely record their history. Human beings actually record their history. Human beings, their whole body is really a storehouse. Human bodies walking around is really a museum of things that have occurred in the past. So if you study the human body, you can actually realize where he comes from, where he or she evolved from, just by studying the human body. It's a museum. The mountains also record where they came from, how long they've been here. So it's a living record. Mountains are literally a record, right, of how a mountain came to be. That's why they can look at a mountain and tell how old it is based off how high it is. You know what I'm saying? Like we know that Mount Everest and all that wasn't around first. And they know how the tectonic plates actually pushed the earth up to form mountains. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's one-on-one in science. Rev doesn't understand that when he makes that statement. So he's absolutely wrong with that. So for the listening audience, they got to know, right, that human beings actually record their story within their body. That human body is actually a museum of all the evidence that we would ever need to recognize that we come from other things. So that's why you can actually study an ape, right, and recognize the origins of humanity. That's why you can actually study a fish and recognize the connectedness with a fish. This is science, and this is understanding what science is and what it's not. Now, to kind of help the rev out a little bit, science is not perfect, bro. It's not infallible. It's not infallible. As a matter of fact, the brother called in, and he was talking about how the, uh, but he kind of framed it wrong, right? And we was at the end of the show. Uh, he framed wrong about the mathematics being wrong. He said the math. he said that the 
the climate change was wrong, right? And then he said, based off of the math, you know what I'm saying? You know, the climate change ain't really that, ain't real or something like that. Don't quote me on it, but it, but the way he framed it made it seem as if the scientists was wrong about climate change based off what the humans have done. Now, let's really talk about that. This is an important part. I'm going to hold that, you know, to respect, you know, the Rev and let you get it in, Rev. See how I got a clock in my head? Go ahead, Rev. All right, hold on, hold on, Rev. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, um, Pastor Bennett. Hold on one second. Let me plug this so that they could hear you very well on the outside. All right. Um, let me see. I got this. All right, go ahead, Rev. It's all yours. Um, all right, I got a question. Uncle Garfield, either one of y'all can answer Cause I think I, I I don't know I don't know if I'm not explaining what I'm saying right or y'all not hearing me right. So let me do it a little bit different and simply ask the question. And I promise, just kind of work with me on the question because I want to get to a point. Where what came first, the mountains or human beings? What was first? Mountains. The mountains. Okay. Is there a such mountain? called Mount Everest. Yes, it is. Humans put a name on it. Humans put a name on it. Yes, it was. All right. He said yes, it was. Uh -huh. humans, humans named it after the fact. So, so listen to the point of what I'm about to say. Y'all just told me the mountains came before human beings. And then y'all told me there was a mountain named Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. I, when I say Mount Everest, Mount Everest, do you know which mountain I'm talking about? Yes. yes. Who named that mountain? Did the mountain name it or did human beings name it? Human beings. Human beings named it. And my point is, the exact same thing I just did right there. It's what I was talking mm -hmm. about when I say the mountain did not t tell us. Science has developed, and y'all teach this. I don't know why y'all would argue with me on no, this. No, Science, but, but. no, listen to what I'm saying. Listen, let me finish. Science developed a method to announce the age of a mountain. The mountain itself. Stop right there. Kind of suggests that within gotcha. the mountain there are there are things in which we develop a method that can test the age of something. I get that, but that's still man developing the method to test the age of that mountain. That's man giving an identity and name to to um put a difference between Mount Everest and any other mountain. It's man measuring the creating a method to measure the height of the mountain. It is not the mountain saying I'm this tall. The mountain was as tall as it was before man measured it and, and after man measured it. Do you guys not agree with that? That the mountain... Yep. Yes, we do. The mountain was 20 feet high, 100 yes, feet do. high. It was that before man measured it. Do we not we agree. agree with that? Yes, we do. Now, let me say something. Freeze. Freeze it. Freeze it. Now, Garfield... Everybody heard what he said, right? Yeah. You know what we call that around here, right? We call that a boomerang dagger. Because watch this. Let me turn your own logic on you, Rev. Did not man give God a name called Yahweh? Did not man give God a name called Kulu Kulu? Did not man give God a name called, uh, uh, what? Well, give me a God name, uh, Zeus? Man did this. 
God never yeah. told man yeah. what the name was. Man told God what his name was. Man did that. There is no disagreement, Rev. Now watch you bug dance and watch you get down. Go ahead. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on, Pastor Bennett. Hold on, Pastor Bennett. Oh, man, y'all got me switching and putting in stuff and because I want everybody to hear you properly, man. I'm not worried about Unc hearing you because Unc will hear you, but I want the people in the audience to hear you and be fear about this. Hold on one second here. Uh, let me take it off. All right, um, go ahead, Pastor. Floor is yours. I'm, again, I think y'all missing the gun for you. If I, I, God, I think you understand what I'm saying a little bit. I don't know if I understand what I'm saying. I'm not disagreeing what man wrote about Je Jehovah. I'm not disagreeing that a man wrote that. And I'm not, and I'm not disagreeing no, that I never said he wrote that, though. That I said God gave me a name. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm saying, even though man gave the name Mount Everest to the mountain, it doesn't make the mountain not real it was there before man gave it its name so when i turns the logic back around on me and say well man named this and man named that i'm not disagreeing with that i'm simply saying when when man came into being the mountain that y'all agree was here before then right the mountain's height was its height before science measured it the mountain's age was the age of the mountain before man announced to humanity itself, this is how long this mountain has been here. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying science. Yes, we got that. We got that, bro. Mountain. But science did not bring the mountain into being. Science said that. is not there. Humanity, I'm sorry, let me put it like this. Humanity said that. is not there. When the mountain was first there. And comes into existence, it developed a methodology to express the age and the height never of this mountain. That is a fact. Anybody who like, disagrees with that, or says you created the thing, never that's what science that, teaches us. We, we never disagree. Science is the study of. Hey, pa hey Pastor, can I, can, I, can I ask you a sidetrack question, real now, if, if you're saying that science, right, develop the name, like sometimes when a scientist is working on a project, they will say like, if he found, say, if he found Mount Everest and say, okay, the scientist, that the chief scientist, they'll name it after that scientist, right? So now, okay. with, your, with your biblical text, wouldn't it be fair to say that if man is the one that wrote it, isn't it man, two things, isn't it man that also wrote that it's inspired by God who he also invented? And isn't it man version of the story that he thinks what God is? So that means anyone can come up with a book and say, hey, me and you, Pastor, we could write a book and we could invent our own concepts of what we believe God is. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Am, am I correct? Hey, pastor, 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 you, you don't have to elaborate, but check this out though. But the mountain, but the mountain now that was named, it is a real mountain. You see the clear difference now? Science is, is making us know, know something. It's not making us believe something. So right now, me and you, Pastor, we're going to sit down. Eventually one day, we're going to sit down. And me and you, I'm telling you this. We're going to end up five years from now writing a book 
are what we think are created the concepts of what we have in the biblical text. You're not there yet, but trust me, five years from now, I'm prophesying it right now. We are going to put a book together. I'm prophesying. I'm prophesying, man. And I'm doing Deuteronomy 18.2. If I'm a false prophet, cut off my head. But anyway, I'm saying this to say that the difference is, is that the book, we know man wrote this book and man did that. But although man named Mount Everest, Mount Everest is real. That is my point. Let me say this, Brad. I mean, let me, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get uncle real quick. Let me get uncle real quick. Go ahead, uncle. So, so the difference between God and the mountain is we can actually walk up to the mountain and touch the mountain. We can verify it. We can verify the age. We can verify how it came to be. And we can send those studies to all places where science is. And scientists and the blind, not knowing who it came from, can give us the same results on the geological phenomenon that will later on become a mountain. Now, with God, it's guesswork. It's a belief. It's, that's the difference. Religion is the master of belief. Science is the master of trying to know. And it's fallible, right? So we can be wrong about things and we can correct it. You can't be wrong in religion. Jesus Christ died for your sins. And he died on the cross. And he rose on the third day, which ain't really ain't three days, if you really count it, from Friday to Sunday morning, ain't three days. But he rose from the dead. Plain and simple. Now, if you was to come back and say we actually found Jesus' body in Bethlehem, where they claim he died at, we actually found his body, and he really got ran over by some Roman chariots. How do we know? Because his chest cavity was caved in with the impression of a wheel. We know he got ran over. You can't change that. You can't admit, you know what? There was a Jesus for real, but he didn't die on the cross. He actually got ran over by a chariot, a Roman chariot. You could never change that because you would destroy the whole religion. And that's the difference, Rev. Right, wrong, or indifference. All right, let me, let me get in here. So I want, I want hold on, hold on. Let me plug this in. Let me plug this okay. in. All right, go ahead. All right. I, I want to deal with both what Garfield was saying, then a little bit on the end of what I, I agree with Garfield's point. But the problem, Garfield, that you got to understand is that I'm not speaking for everybody. Like, I can't speak for the Hebrews. I can't speak for that. People that deal with in my community of belief, we don't deny that that Christianity or that our belief is a matter of two things. It is a matter of what man writes as far as what it experienced, and it is also a matter of faith. Science does not have to be a matter of faith and a matter of belief in order to discredit that something else else. Because I agree that science and religion or science and belief are two different things. So my point is to now say because something is not science, that it can have other aspects to it as in belief and faith is ridiculous. Because if we deal in reality, there are plenty of things in life that we believe before we come into the knowledge of it. Even science in some aspects has levels of belief why they search out the knowledge. A scientist could believe this and believe that and then search out the knowledge of it to prove it. So to act like belief and faith cannot take us into knowledge is ridiculous. So when, we, when we're dealing with a faith issue and when we're, or when we're dealing with a biblical issue, even the Bible itself, right? Because you brought up how the man said that the, um, that 
um, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. No believer in the Bible would deny that because the scriptures say that. But also what no believer in the in the biblical text would deny is that the Bible also tells us and Garfield, that it is a matter of faith. I don't need to scientifically prove God if, if, if God biblically tells me that he that comes to me must first believe that I am. My point is, it's fine for people, and Garfield, you know this about me, it's fine for people to call me crazy. I don't care about that. When we're talking about just on a logical sense of humanity, people know I'm not crazy. You can't, like, I'm as far as on no, no stupid stuff. My belief is my belief. It doesn't, my belief does not make me not take care of my children. It doesn't make me treat my wife. Yeah, nobody knocking that, bro. It makes me love, love my children. It makes me bless my community. It makes me take care of my community. I'm not out here doing drugs, blah, So when we're talking about people crazy just because their belief, it is what it is. And I'm fine with being called crazy for my belief, if that's what you're going to call me. If that's the identity of what the word crazy means. But we know nah, that text does not dismiss faith. Science does, right? Science dismisses faith. Biblical text doesn't. So I don't have to throw my faith out, and I don't have to throw my beliefs out. But the point, Godfrey, that I was making is not that the mountain is not real. The point I'm making is what I said before, that the mountain does not tell you its name is Mount Everest. The mountain does not tell you its height. You created, meaning science, created a methodology to measure the height, and humanity told humanity. The alligator did not come up and say, my name is an alligator. He was what he was before we named it. But humans named the alligator the alligator, right? We named the bear the bear. That is fact. And so my point is, but it was real before we named it. Exactly. And my thing is, you guys, through science, and I'm saying science can't tell you this, if they were here millions of years before us, I'm telling you that science can't tell you how that bear got here. How the bear got here? Why? Why they can't tell us? What I'm saying is the origins, the origins of a species. Right? When, if you're going to claim we were here millions of years before that species, I'm saying you are taking a human's perspective of somebody who actually was not there. I don't want to call it faith and belief. So sometimes some people are so um, in allegiance with science that they will, they will treat us like we're ignorant in the fact of a bit, take a billion years ago or millions of years ago. I think you said this, Garfield. It's hard to comprehend millions of years ago. And I believe you said Let's just try to comprehend a thousand. Because it's hard to comprehend a thousand years. So when you talk, I don't know if you believe this, I believe Ock told me the, the animals were here millions of years before us. So if they were here millions of years before us, are we literally saying that we know how they came here. And it, ain't, it don't take faith to know that. I'm talking about even from a scientific perspective. How the scientists say, this is how the first bear came up. Or this is a, because, because people, even in the scientific community, would be honest with say different things. Some would say the, the fish just crawled up out of, it started in the water, crawled up out of the water, and became this. And these were theories that were developed throughout years. This is the reality of somebody saying, I was there and 
I've seen it. You see what I'm saying? It still takes a matter of faith and belief for you to believe this is how a bear got created. This is how an alligator got created. This is how a, croc uh, a, a giraffe was created. This is how they came into being. All, all these different, like through science, it has the answers to tell us how it happened a million years ago. I'm telling you, some things are simply a matter of faith and belief. All right. I hear you, brother. All right. I don't know where Unc went. I think he probably lost his signal. I don't know if he wants to call okay. him in. But, um, hey, hey, it is what it is, man. I think, I think it is what it is. I think, I think we're able to. And I, and I say this to a lot of people. You know, it's, it's, it's funny that everything the pastor mentioned, though, is something tangible mm -hmm. that we can see. But with the biblical text, <laughs> we, can't, we can't even find the characters. That, that they were talking about. Hold on, hold on one second, Pastor. Hold on one second. Okay. Let me get yes, my brother yes, in here. Let me add him back to the stream. We got 245 okay. people watching live. This is Brother Garfield. This is the morning money. Supposed to be the morning money show where we talk history and economics. But, we get into, <laughs> but what the pastor is saying, though, let's look at what the pastor is saying. The last point is that although these things exist, we weren't there at the beginning. So he's saying that we're having faith in science, how to calculate. How can we calculate, Unc? The floor is yours, brother Unc. How can we calculate? Yeah, we're not going yeah, to continue. Or something exists. Yeah, go ahead. We're not going to continually allow him to get away with that statement. He didn't got away, for, got away with it for three shows now. No reasonable person walking on planet Earth would actually think that human beings can't measure the amount of gas it takes to go from Maryland to Georgia. You can actually figure that number out. You can figure out how long it takes in a car based off the speed limit of 65 miles an hour, based off the speed limit going up and down to 70 miles an hour time. You can actually figure out how long it takes for a plane. They know how much jet fuel to put in the plane to go in different areas based off of the, the driftage of the wind and all that. Nobody would say because man didn't make the sky and the earth that they can't figure out how to travel at and measure the distance of that. Nobody says that, Rev. You, you can't keep using that. You didn't did it three times. Three strikes, you're out, bro. So we can absolutely calculate the time it took for a mountain to grow. We can see, see, I did this Hold on. See, they get mad at me. I shut up. He does not respect the conversation. Respecting the conversation is do not go long, right? Let a person speak. And then when they're speaking, shut the hell up. So shut the hell up, Rev, while I'm talking. You need to learn something. You need to learn something, Rev, because what you're not going to do is you're not going to continue come on here and lie and dumbfound the people. You don't even know you're lying. You just do not understand. So we can measure the distance. We know how we can look at our GPS, and it gives an estimate time based off of traffic. We can look at the mountains and give you a rough estimate of how old that mountain is. We know how long it took to grow based off the movement of the plate tectonics. We know when the earth was one landmass called Pandera. And we know how long it takes for a continent to travel, bro. We can actually measure that. Math is math. Whether you're putting that math on the distance between Georgia and Baltimore or putting that math on the distance between it takes for a continent to move. Okay? We know when ice ages was based off of the water levels rising. We know that the last glacial stage was about somewhere between 14 and 10,000 years based off of measuring my, uh, my fault. Uh, what's the, damn, what's the guy there going to think called Garfield? Uh, is in, is, it, it separates Canada from the United States, Niagara Falls. 
So you can literally measure Niagara Falls and tell when the last glacial stage occurred. You can do that, bro. You can look at the water levels and tell where the water level was in the oceans during the glacial stages, right? This is called archaeology. This is called geology. We're not going to allow you to come on with your religious rhetoric and continue to act like those things can't be measured. You see how smooth I did that? And I'm yeah. finished talking. As we talk for 20 minutes. Has some right. discipline, Rev. Hold on, hold on. Let me say something um, before Unc, even um, before the pastor come back in. Hold on. Let me plug this back in so the people can hear the all right let me say this before um the pastor respond real quickly here um you know what pastor go ahead go ahead let me let me take myself out of this. but go ahead okay now yeah and, and, and i'm fine with you getting in um so this is what this is what i have a problem and i know i'm on the dagger squad show so i understand you know where, where people are going to fall at mostly right but this is. But let me tell y'all what I'm saying is, is bogus. Y'all just heard Unc say all of that, right? Not one time, and and, and y'all just go with it. Not one time did I say anything about science could not measure how much gas it takes to go from Chicago to New York, whatever he said. Not one time did I say science can measure how long it takes to for an airplane to get off the runway into the sky. Yeah, I just went with whatever he said, even though I didn't say none of that. When I got back on the phone, Garfield said, how do we calculate? Pastor Bennett is saying, how do we, how does science calculate um, the existence of how a bear start uh, was created being that we weren't there? That was the question. Uh, what? So how to what? I can get away oh, with just saying that I'm not going to go here with my religious jargon and start lying about science and what it can measure. I never said science couldn't measure these things. Y'all just go with whatever. It's crazy. And that's the thing, because that's the thing I don't understand, Garfield, why people would just go with whatever. Like, you asked him a specific question, and he didn't answer my question. He started from New York to somewhere else. As if I said that. But it's connected though. He's trying to say no, that we can but measure got, things. But if something is direct, if a question What's the is question? Direct, What's the question, Garfield? How do What's you question, answer Garfield? everything but a direct question? Because How would you, question, if, because then it would sound like if, if you go with Ant's argument, then it sounds like I'm saying you we we can't measure how much gas it takes to get from here to here. When did I say that? And how is that a, a correlate a correlation correlation between getting from where I live to where you live, how does that even correlate to me saying something happened a million years ago that we weren't there? Well, we here now, Garfield. We here now. We can measure how long it takes to get from this to this. I'm asking if millions of years ago you're telling me the animals were here. I simply ask a simple question. How does science... Uh with absolute surety, without faith, without belief, without believing this is right. How does science accurately tell us how that bear came into existence? That's all I ask. And we're talking about something that we can tell right now because we're here. So how is that a, a, a correct correlation? And we don't even care. We don't even care that I'm asked stuff about why we're here. When well, my question is, if a million years of years ago, we show up millions of 
years later on the scene. I'm asking, how does science prove without belief, without uh, saying, I believe this is how it happened, right? How does science say, no, this is how it happened? That's all I said, and we're talking about other stuff other than what I said. It was a direct hey, hey, question Pastor, that you hold asked. Hold on, hold on a second. I don't think science says belief, though. I think what they do I is... Don't, I don't on, either. I think... um and um what they do give you is estimated times which is which is being honest because technically you're right that we weren't there but there are methodologies that they use within the science scientific field to measure different things that's why he gave the analogy of gas that was the purpose of it i don't think you got that point but the issue is although he's using something in our modern day time he's telling you that there's ways that scientists can do this now the, the the question to Ank now is, do you want to get into that? Because I know it's going to take a very long time to explain a methodology of how our scientists determine the age of the Earth, how they determine the, the um how this how old this is, how that old this is. It has nothing to do with belief. It's a methodology, and the methodology is saying based on this, based See? on this, and we can come up to an approximate time period. And this is why science is so good, because remember, science is the study of nature. That's all it is. If basically, if you look at it, God is what you call God. I would say God is the study of nature. That's what I would say. I'm not saying everybody to say that, because nature. I wouldn't even have to. I wouldn't disagree with you. What we're doing, on, family, right now. Let him go. Right, and who's wrong? But we're trying to get the pastor right. to understand something that he's saying, and I think I know where Unc is saying. When the, when the pastor said, I'm saying it's not faith. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that. I don't know what Unc is saying. I'm telling you it's not faith. It's considered a methodology. It has nothing to do with belief. Because when the scientists speak, this is why you have people who believe the same as you, pastor, that rocks with science. You have it to the point where Roman Catholics are now considered theistic evolutionists. Because they believe in evolution. They teach it in their schools. And they, they're proud of it. They believe it. They just think that the, the writing is, is complete. It's once they separate religion from, from, um, from science. They separate it. So what I'm, saying, what I'm saying is whenever something comes up, you won't hear a scientist say, I believe. You won't hear. You'll never hear that. What they'll do is give you estimates. So if I say, if I don't know, it's like if I read something this morning about the guy by the name of, um, what was the guy's name this morning? Mark, whatever. And he was born in the 1700s. They gave an estimate of when he was born because there's no record. There's no records of when he was born. Based on what he said and based on what people have, people said about him, they said, okay, he may have born around probably 1789, around that time period. We don't have no newspaper clippings. We don't have no, um, we don't have no church records. But around this time, we see this name popping up in history. So we're going to give an estimate to that. But when you're talking about millions and billions of years, I mean, as I said, I can't fathom it because we can't even live over 100 years consistently. Right. So now let right. me just let Unc respond to, to what you just said. Go ahead, Unc. So hold on. So, Dr. what was this? Because I thought I was trying to show you that this is actually vaporizes. And so if they, they, they measure, you know what I mean, how much gas is in a particular uh, – engine and they can measure how long it takes for the gas to use up and vaporize like that that's that's the same thing so what was your direct question though Garfield? i'm talking to god okay man. why does this, this dude start talking man okay all right hold on hold on hold on 
Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. All right. But uh, I hear you loud and clear, brother. You're chipping out a little bit, a little bit. But we can hear you. We hear you loud and clear, brother. All right. Hold on. What was the direct question? Did you say? No, I was saying, I think what the pastor wanted is um, basically an explanation of uh, he's saying that when people talk about things when humans didn't exist, we're talking from a point of belief. And I'm telling him that what scientists do is they give estimates. That's what they do. Because something else might come up that beach. Because everything is worked around with science. Is not uh, is, You don't say, hey, you know what? We believe it's this and that. No, based on the, the premise and the evidence that's available to us, this is the conclusion that we come up with. And the conclusion is now, it's based it, it's tested, it's falsified, first of all, because it has to be falsified to be even involved in what's called the scientific theory. So when you look at the methodology and what they go through, I'm saying to you, um, you don't want to go through all of that right now while we live on the show. Maybe you need to do a whole show on that methodology, because it's too much right now for people to go over step by step by step by step how the scientists came to a conclusion. And I think that's what the pastor is looking for. No, hold on, but watch this. All right, watch how I get them. You know I got them. So basically, do you not realize that you can take a, a big-ass container of water, right? Can you hear me, Garfield? Yes. Okay, you can take that container of water and wait till the sun come up. Put a hole in that container, right, and wait till the water dribble out slowly. Did it dribble out slowly, right? And by the time it get mid-noon, you can mark it, right, right on the container. And by the time the sun sets, you can mark Basically, now you have a measurement of time. Based off of that container, that's how they used to do it. They used to also do it with candles. You can actually take a candle and let it burn all day. And you can keep looking at that candle and mark it off. Each, each point of the day, you can just mark that candle off. So then you could just, the next day, you can look at the candle and see where it's burning at. To see what time of day it is. Does that make sense to you, Garfield? Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. Now watch this. Now watch this. Now watch this. So now let me give you some sign. First of all, that's how they first used to do it. Now let's get a little bit uh, uh, in depth, real fast. It's not going to be complicated. And so what they do is you got radioactive isotopes, isotopes, and these radioactive isotopes, right? A at a constant rate. So let's use ignis rocks. You got sediment, three types of rocks. You got igneous rocks and sediment rocks, right? And one more type that we, not, we only got to use right now. But the igneous rocks come from the uh, Greek word molten, right? So so the igneous rocks, when they harden, because they start from molten lava, when they harden, the clock starts. The radioactive isotopes start to decay. So let's take uh, uh, uranium-238, right? Decays into uh, lead 208, no, 206. I'm going to say this again. Uranium-238 decays to lead 206. And it's a, it's a half-life of 14 years. So you can measure the half-life, you can measure three-quarters life, you can measure one-third's life and get an approximate date of what you're trying to date as long as the ignis, the, the ignis rocks on, you know what I'm is in that area. This is science, bro. Just because nobody understands that because you're not a scientist doesn't mean they can't do it, bro. Okay? Once again, 
lead decays, no, uranium 238 decays at a constant rate, no matter what the rad says, and no, ma no matter what people say, they're ignorant to this process. And they know what the half-life is. Life is. 4.5 billion years. Look up uranium-238 and what is its rate of decay. So I gave you the example of the candle, right, burning. I gave you the example of the, the, the container of water. See what I'm saying? Oh, dripping out of a container over time of day. And I gave you some shit that they end up elevating to dealing with uranium and radioactive isotopes that always decay at a certain rate. There you go, bro. I'm no longer arguing with this guy. Either he study up on that shit or stop talking to me about it. Hey, can I grab the real quick? Go ahead. Y'all please stop. Help me out. I hear what I is saying. But I just did the same thing. I don't know how many times I got to say this. Let me let me try to even be more clear. I don't disagree. I agree with you. Let me just say that. Does that, make, does, does that make everybody feel better? Does that make us feel better? I agree with what he just said. I agree that the methodology that he started to say about what you put the water in, the container, and test this and test that, I agree with him. Like, I, I agree that science can show that. The, the, the methodology that he was using, how you can use to date things, I agree that science can show that. I agree that science can date a mountain. I agree that science and archaeologists can find bones and date the age of the bone. I agree that that can happen. How is it that I didn't understand in Garfield that my question is not about dating? and measuring that my question is about existence he keeps telling me about dating and measuring and we know that is separate from existence this is crazy that even oh, come on, bro. and i understand that let me ask you one of your main, one of your main arguments. Hold on, Unc. Hold on, hold on, Unc. Hold on, hold on, Unc. Relax, bro. Um, one of the main arguments you're making is that the, the, if the mountains exist before us, but you are saying that we have faith, you are saying that we have faith, like how people have faith in the Bible the same way. The reason is we know the mountains existed before us, for example. But what we're saying is you now brought into the to the to the um to the whole perspective now about the reason why we started talking about dating is because of what you brought up. So now you now come back and say after he gave us a methodology of how they dating now to prove that science could do that and make and make a great argument of how old it is. You're now saying you're talking about existence. You're going back to existence no. now. No, no. If you remember what I specifically asked that you asked him when he came back on, mm -hmm. was if a million of years ago, animals were here, because I'm said that, um, I believe you might say you believe that too, that millions of years, remember what I said was, I'm saying animals were here millions of years before us. And I said, well, Garfield said it's hard to really conceptualize millions of years. It's hard enough to conceptualize a thousand of years. So remember, I said, so how, I said, science 
cannot factually tell us how the bear came into existence. I'm not switching up because he's showing methodology. Hey, God, Phil, I'm gone, bro. I never said that hey, you're going to say something out then. Yeah. I'm saying that hey, how does science... Mad, yo. Yeah, oh, you can't listen, get listen, mad, bro. Stay on the line, man. Stay on the line. And listen, no, I got some shit to do. Listen, I have some shit listen, to do. And, and, talk to you, bro. and, and see, when, when people call I'm, me, I'm not mad. I believe what I believe. I stand on my belief. But I'm not going to get people to shut my mouth and listen to anybody else. Everybody don't believe just what I'm saying. You talk too long, though. Even if I'm saying it's true, that's fine. His truth does not erase anybody else's truth or belief or that. And if you can't have a conversation, then you really don't want to be a teacher. Everybody ain't stupid. No, it's not a conversation when you take all the time, the man. Time. And it's not that I'm not listening. I am listening. I have questions. Yeah, I say I don't agree with. Yeah, if you can't be patient yeah, and have a dialogue with me, then don't call yourself a teacher. Yeah, you know, because he talked too long, though, Garfield. Like, if you go back and look at the they, show, they, they say crazy talk too long. If, I, if I'm a teacher of the Word of God, I don't. I, I don't even force anybody to believe in myself. I feel. All right. Cool. Hey, let me, let, you know what? So you let, know what, man. Let's let's do let's do this, Pastor. Let's do this. Since you have the time and and you took the time out to talk to me this morning. What time is it? Eleven twenty-three. I'm gonna be on here for probably another probably forty more minutes. I'll be on. My brother Sonetta called in, but Uncle speaking at the time. Let me Sonetta call back in, man. If you wanted to um say something real quick. Um, I want to okay. do say this though. Let's table this conversation for now. We're gonna stop it right there. Yes, sir. And um, yes, I got sir. a quick question to ask you, Pastor, because a lot, of, a lot of us okay. in the community, we run around and we say, um, "Did did did Moses exist?" And you know, we 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 do all of that stuff because I think if you believe in the Bible, you have to believe that an Abraham and a Moses exist, and you have to believe that an Elijah exists. You got to believe that an Elisha exists, and you got to believe the prophets exist. Do you do you do you hold on from a scientific perspective and from a religious perspective? Do you have do you think both of them are hand in hand as far as these people in the Bible being real? From a from scientific standpoint, I would say that I would I would I would have a little uneasiness by just going full fledged in, like I said faith-wise and religion and belief in the scriptures and the only reason I would say it like that Garfield is even with the interview you had on of the brother when he was talking about Tacitus well when we're looking at like Jesus in order for me to I need to have a faith that Jesus exists because I never met him right but I also need to be able to see some things within the earth of people and if, 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 if my faith truly says he existed in the earth that I could expect to see and hear something about him. Well, the problem is scientifically, if we're just talking about records, we do. But people like the brother you had on, or the, or the gentleman that you had on, every time he brings up a historian that wrote about Jesus, it's always, well, we have reason to believe that that was added in. Or he was talking about a different Jesus. Man, you got over 60 historians. I can believe like you got over 60 historians that write about Jesus. And all of them don't believe that he's the son of God and the Christ. But they still speak to hey, a hey, narrative. Pastor, that number, that, that number, you're using hyperbole, right? No, I, I would I would send, I, I, I sent, like I said, I don't want to take up too much more time because I know you want to move on. But I sent you I'm referring to. But I'll put it like this. We have enough writings of historian writers, those who believed in, in Christ and those who were did not believe in Christ and did not believe in God as what the scriptures say. That still spoke spoke to the narrative at the time 
we get someone who does not believe in Christ and does not believe in faith. Everyone who wants to question me and say, well, he never brings up. Um, you would know some things, Judge Garfield, because you're a student. Even of the things you disagree with, you're still a student of it. So you would absolutely know that if I start bringing up certain names and saying certain things, then it, being, you being a student will be able to say, okay, I know Pastor has some knowledge of that right, thing. Let me, ask you, let me ask you one last question before you go. Do you know? Do you no, know? Do you hold on, Uncle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hold on, Uncle. One last question I gotta ask him before he goes. Do you know of any historian, right? Ancient historian from the first century who was alive during the time that Jesus allegedly lived that mentioned Jesus? Listen to the question again. Let me say, let me say it over. Can you find one historian that was alive? During that spoke about Jesus, you, you can. You, so I'm not necessarily going to call him a historian as far as like Josephus and them, but if you look at Mark, okay. If so you look at about, Mark, all no, right. So 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 you're saying Mark is a is a um is a historian regarding Jesus. No, but do you no, have anyone? Do you I'm have anyone? Do you have anyone outside the biblical text? Let's put it that way. Then. Well, Okay, so so then let me put it like this. I don't feel we would have to, um, Garfield, because the biblical text, if you remember, and this one might some people might get confused, the biblical text itself, like what we have in our hand now, this one book, that's not how the Bible, that's not how the, the book that now is, that's not how it was written in those times. So Mark would not have been writing all of the books that we hold in our hand. Mark would have been telling the parts of the been writing his letters and writing his 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 letters of what took place, and he would have been passing those things on. He would have been connected with the apostles, right? So for him to write what he wrote, he was not writing the whole, like the whole book that we got in the Bible, he didn't write that. So it is it is okay that we have historians that speak of pieces of what happened. That would make it more real than if one historian, you just told me one historian, seen everything that and heard everything that they wrote in the Bible. No, it would be different because the collection of books we have now, yeah, it has been grabbed and collected into one book, but we know that's not how it was originally written. We know it was originally written. So when you ask me that and I say Mark, it doesn't matter that Mark is in the biblical text. It does not matter that Mark is close to that because you would expect that. And you would expect that if it is real, then that text, that, that narrative back in that time, you would expect that it would go beyond just those in the biblical text. So if we have a docetus, if we have other people that are historians that are not followers of Christ, it makes good sense that even those who are not... No, Pastor, that's, that, 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 but Josephus wasn't, was born after Jesus allegedly died, so he wouldn't be in the conversation. I'm talking about people who live, I'm talking about people who live during the time of Jesus, who we have in documentation. We don't know if Mark is a real person. That could be a pen name. We don't know. We don't know that. We don't know that. But does the narrative that, let me ask you something, does the narrative that is associated with Mark, does that information spring forth? from people that we do know were real um not i, I, I don't we, we, we don't remember remember mark remember when mark was written well i don't want to go this route i just wanted to know if there's yeah, any I, if, I just want to know if there's anybody who any historian that was alive while jesus was alive that spoke of it that's all i wanted to know that's all all right all right, right. i'm gonna leave I'm it there pastor mark, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll holler about it later all yeah. right cool peace and love man all right, all right.
Unk, oh man, <laughs> oh man, yeah. All right, hey, good conversation, man. Good conversation, good conversation. All right, um, hold on a second here. I got a couple of missed calls and all this stuff here going on here. Here doing business at the same time. All right. Anybody else? Anybody else want to jump on and, and talk about um, what's going on here, or y'all want to move the conversation back to a, a different conversation? Mm. All right. Nobody want to call in. Nobody want to talk. Oh, man. All right, man. I'm going to leave it there, man. Oh, man. Let me, get, let me take one phone call. Hey, go ahead, caller. Caller, you live. What's your name? Where you calling from? Hey, what's up, man? It's Rich MC, man, a.k.a. Amen. All right. What's up, Listen, man? Um, this is the one thing that I don't think Pastor Bennett gets and Anybody else who says they believe in the biblical uh, God, whether it's Jesus, Yahweh, or El Elyon, is this. Every culture all throughout history had a God or God or deities that they believed in. We got Ahura Mazda. We got Zeus. We got Apollo. We got all these deities that people believe in, they bow to, they sacrifice to, what makes these Christians and these Hebrews believe that their particular deity is real? That's what I want them to tell me. How can they prove that their deity is not just like all the rest of them throughout history, that it is the real and only true creator, deity, God, however you want to put it? Somebody please explain to me what makes theirs real and every other God not real. And I'll leave it right there, my brothers. All right. Peace and love, bro. Peace and love, bro. All right. Cool. All right, man. Um, and a Andrew is my middle name, man. That's who um, I was named after the prophet or the, the, the apostle Andrew. Don't believe me. Ask my mom. Oh, man. I'm here looking for somebody's info. Oh, man. All right. I need to go get to work instead of messing with you guys. Damn, I can't find this person's number, man. Ah. 
Mm. Ah. All right, let me play the interview then, since y'all want to hear the interview. Uh, which is, so people usually date him to about 110 AD, uh, give or take a few years. Because um, uh, he talks about being arrested for being a Christian and then being brought from one Christian community to another on his way to be to trial by his Roman captors. Now, this several scholars have pointed out this is a massively implausible narrative, and there's no way this could be true. Uh, there's no way Romans would arrest a Christian for being an illegal Christian and then take him peacefully to Christian church after Christian church and let him uh, mingle and talk and share letters with these Christians and then keep going without like arresting all these other Christians. Uh, so it's it, the, the storyline that's in it is ridiculous. And there's been uh, several Ignatian experts, and I quote them and cite them in my book uh, on the historicity of Jesus, for those who want to know. On historicity of Jesus is the one you're talking about, which is a really detailed book uh, on this question. It's the first peer-reviewed book to examine the historicity of Jesus, specifically published in almost 100 years, uh, pro or con, by the way. So it's like it's even... Airman's Did Jesus Exist was not published through peer review. It was published in a pop market press. Uh, so, but in my book on the historicity of Jesus, I cite these scholars pointing this out that um, they think the Ignatian letters were actually probably written more like in the 140s, somewhere, give or take a few years there, and only portrayed this story. They're kind of like a, a fictional series of letters to kind of portray um, uh, Christian martyr and, and, and push these teachings. And, uh, and so the point being is that this is already, even at 110, it's already too late. Uh, he's just relying on the Gospels. But at, if it goes as late as 130 or 140, it's definitely just way too late to be useful uh, as, a, as a citation for evidence for Jesus. Because there's nothing in Ignatius that doesn't come out of the Gospels uh, other than things that actually sound like Jesus didn't exist, uh, which I also talk about in Chapter 8 of On the Historicity of Jesus. So I don't think Ignatius is a reliable or useful source for defending historicity by any means. All right, well said. Um, what a, there's a gentleman asking about a proto-Christian cult. They talk about it mostly in lectures. Please ask Dr. Carrier about the initial angel cult that existed before the ah. idea of Jesus. Okay, um, yeah. Talking about... Um, um, wow, what is the name of that? Well, go ahead, talk about it, go ahead. Well, I, I assume they mean um, what I what I suspect, and uh, I'm not the only one, there are a few other scholars too, and I got the idea from previous uh, scholar who wasn't a PhD scholar, but he was uh, had a BA in classics and actually wrote the first plausible defense of the non-existence of Jesus, and that's Earl Doherty. He wrote the book, The Jesus Puzzle. Now, there are a lot of flaws, I thought, in The Jesus Puzzle, but uh, I think he, he was hitting on something that was probably correct. Uh, or most likely correct, and that is that, that the original Christian sects, their Jesus Christ was an angelic figure. It was it was actually a pre-existent archangel that God had clothed with flesh so that he could die and his death would atone for all sins, and then he's re-exalted and assigned all the powers of God. And uh, this is already in Paul. This is in Philippians 2. Jesus is a pre-existent being uh, who, who assumes flesh and is crucified. And uh, there are many other references in Paul to Jesus being a pre-existent being. So they, they definitely viewed him as this. And in the book of in the books of Philo, Philo's Judaeus is this. Uh, he's a Jewish theologian, the most famous Jewish theologian, uh, contemporary of Paul. He's writing in the 20s, 30s, uh, 40s AD. In the writings of Philo, he references this angel constantly. He says it has all the same attributes as the Christian Jesus, 
since they, the Christians clearly thought their Jesus was this archangel. And that's true even if Jesus was a historical person. Uh, that, that's really important to emphasize is that even the first Christians, and Bart Ehrman has come out admitting this now in um, his book, How Did Jesus Become God? It says the first Christians right out of the bat thought that their Jesus was this pre-existent archangel who became incarnate and died. Uh, and that's what they were teaching all along from the beginning. Uh, and Now I hope pastor is listening to this. Because this is deep. This is deep right now. This is some deep stuff right here. Listen to this again. Tone for all sins, and then he's re-exalted and assigned all the powers of God. Because there's nothing in Ignatius that doesn't come out of the Gospels uh, other than things that actually sound like Jesus didn't exist, uh, which I also talk about in Chapter 8 of on the historicity of Jesus. So I don't think Ignatius is a reliable or useful source for defending historicity by any means. All right, well said. Um, what if, there's a gentleman asking about a proto-Christian cult. They talk about it mostly in lectures. Please ask Dr. Carrier about the initial angel cult that existed before the idea of Jesus. Okay, um, yeah. Talking about, um, um, wow, what is the name of that? Well, go ahead, talk about it. Go ahead. Well, I assume they mean um, what I what I suspect, and uh, I'm not the only one. There few other scholars too. And I got the idea from previous uh, scholar who wasn't a PhD scholar, but he was uh, had a BA in classics and actually wrote the first plausible defense of the non-existence of Jesus. And that's Earl Doherty. He wrote the book, The Jesus Puzzle. Now there are a lot of flaws I thought in The Jesus Puzzle, but uh, I think he, he was hitting on something that was probably correct uh, or most likely correct. And that is that the original Christian sects their Jesus Christ was an angelic figure. It was, it was actually a pre-existent archangel that God had clothed with flesh so that he could die and his death would atone for all sins. And then he's re-exalted and assigned all the powers of God. And uh, this is already in Paul. This is in Philippians 2. Jesus is a pre-existent being uh, who, who assumes flesh and is crucified. And a pre-existent being. So they, they definitely viewed him as this. And in the book of in the books of Philo, Philo's Judaeus is this. Uh, he's a Jewish theologian, most famous Jewish theologian, uh, contemporary of Paul. He's writing in the twenties, thirties, forties A.D. In the writings of Philo, he references this angel constantly. Says, it has all the same attributes as the Christian Jesus. Since they, the Christians clearly thought their Jesus was this archangel, and that's true even if Jesus was a historical person. Uh, that that's really important to emphasize. That even the first Christian. And Bart Ehrman has come out admitting this now in um, his book, How Did Jesus Become God? It says the first Christians right out of the bat thought that their Jesus was this pre-existent archangel who became incarnate and died. Uh, and that's what they were teaching all along from the beginning. Uh, and uh, now the, the alternative theory they were teaching, thought was this archangel. There was only this archangel and that they only learned about his incarnation and death through visions of scripture, they didn't actually meet this guy. Uh, and that's the mythicist thesis, I think is the most plausible theory for the origins of Christianity without an actual Jesus. And this would have been the original sect up until we're not sure when. Uh, sometime after the Jewish war, it does appear. We have some documents that appear to be written before that war. First Clement, Hebrews, for example. Um, they also seem to lack any clear reference to a historical Jesus in the earthly sense. They all seem to think there's only a cosmic Jesus. He's historical, but in the same way that Satan is historical, that they, they live in the upper reaches of the air and in the heavens and stuff. 
they're not earthly historical human beings in the normal sense. And um, so some, something happened around the Jewish war. Right after that, suddenly we start getting these gospels. And the first one is Mark that are highly allegorical, highly mythical. Don't sources. They're just writing these some sort of symbolic narratives portraying Jesus as a normal person uh, with miraculous powers walking through Galilee and, and then so on and being crucified by Pontius Pilate and all of that. It's only in the second half of the first century that we start hearing this as even an idea within Christianity. And it's only in the first half of the second century that we start hearing about people who believe that's rather than these being symbolic myths. Um, so, uh, so it took about 100 years, maybe 50. Philo, he references this. Hey, what up, Ankh? You back? Yeah, my phone, my phone had died, man. Yo, y'all kept me, man. You had the pastor say you're running, man. Pastor said you're running. I mean, but I would say the same thing, though. You feel no, me? No, I'm joking. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. conversation was full of a lot of, lot of red herrings, man, and illogical fallacies. So, really, why don't he just jump out from the beginning and say, well, how did everything exist? Like, it's crazy. Like, we, we like for a fact, we know when mountains actually existed. We know they wasn't there at the beginning of the formation of the earth. So we do know that and we understand that process. We also know when water came to the earth. We understand that process, right? We know how it came to be, how it got here. We also know when oxygen first came to the planet Earth. You know what I'm saying? We also know that the earth was not in solid form. You know what I'm saying? Like we know all these things. So for you to run, for him to run to you, well, how did everything start? Like one thing we do know, uh, Garfield, and I want everybody to know, we might not might not know exactly how everything started, you know what I'm saying? Or was it another universe before that, right? But we do understand as far back as 13.5 billion years when this particular universe started, we know that. We might not know why it started, right? We might not know where it came from or if it came from something, right? But one thing we do know, Garfield, and it's the last time I'm gonna say this today, whatever it was or however it started or why it started, we know it would be a natural process based off all the evidence of everything else coming to be uh, coming coming into being being natural we know that the universe too also came into being through natural processes and just because we do not understand all that does not mean we automatically jump to the bam, 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 boom boom super duper natural that's all i want to say bro <laughs> I hear you. Yep. Yeah, Red Hearn, yo. Since we don't know how shit came into being, then we don't know how mountains started and all that. That's a Red Hearn. Get out of here, man. He switched it. Right in mid, he switched up. Stop it, man. And ain't nobody mad at you, but you keep doing the same thing. Do that. Why don't he just say that? And I'll say, well, man, we don't know right now. He said it was God, and that's the end of the conversation. Right or wrong, Garfield? <laughs> I mean, right? If that's what he really wanted to go to. I mean, come on, yeah. dude. Like, come on, bro. Just go to something the signs don't know yet. You you know what I'm saying? Like, that, is that the is that the game? First of all, signs does not prove or disprove God, though, bro. So I don't know what's wrong with him. Like, no one says that it's not no God because signs can't tell. You know what I'm saying? No one's saying that it is or it's not. Who is saying that? We just saying we ain't got proof of it yet. Did Sarnetta call back in? Um, no, you took too long. No. No, he didn't call back in. 
Oh, all right. Yeah, man, but I ain't gonna talk you to death on that, man. You know, I think I think it was a good conversation. Rev just talked too long, yo. Like I know how to put a governor on what I'm saying. I say, all right, your turn. He just keep going and going. I can't take it. Then you you know you wanna get your question and then he gotta answer your question. I can't take it. It's too much. <laughs> it's too much, yo. Too much there. Hey, Carly, you live. What's up? This is who? This is who? All right, what's going on? What? Carla, I can't hear you, man. Is there a difference? Is there what? Christianity. Bro, your signal is not good. You got to repeat what you said. Can you hear me? Is there a difference between Kemet Christianity and that part? Well, you said Kemet Christianity? Right. Okay. And America's Christianity. The difference. So who said there's a Kemet Christianity? Where you get that? <laughs> I, was I gave me the cop. The cop. You, made, you made that up, bro. You made that up. I, I, I don't know about that. You made that up, bro. I don't know nothing about he that. Mean, he mean the cop. Okay, no problem. Coptics, Are you talking about the Coptics, bro? If, if that's what it is, I don't. I mean, I, I might not know the right terminology, but I know it's supposed to be Christianity starting in. Africa before it came to America. So that's basically the question I'm asking. Oh, shit. It's all, all right. Christianity. Uh, it's all basically fundamental things. Uh, I think the cop is a little more like metaphysical. You know what I mean? And, you know, they have different tenets to it, but it's Christianity. You got all kind of, you, you got Gnostics. You got all kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. Christianity is Christianity to me. Like, you can just make it up. Yep. But look. My signal about to die, Garfield. I'm going to turn my phone up. All right, cool. All right, peace and love. All right, let's go back to this right here. This angel constantly. It has all the same attributes as the Christian Jesus. It says they, the Christians clearly thought their Jesus was this archangel. And that's true even if Jesus was a historical person. Uh, that That's really important to emphasize is that even the first Christians, and Bart Ehrman has come out admitting this now in um, his book, How Did Jesus Become God? Says the first Christians right out of the bat thought that their Jesus was this pre-existent archangel who became incarnate and died. Uh, and that's what they were teaching all along from the beginning. Uh, and uh, now the, the alternative theory is that that's all they were teaching. If there wasn't a guy that they thought was this archangel, that there was only this archangel. And that they only learned about his incarnation and death through visions and scripture. They didn't actually meet this guy or see this incarnation or death. Uh, and that's the myth of thesis, I think, is the most plausible theory for the origins of Christianity without an actual Jesus. And this would have been the original sect up until we're not sure when. Uh, sometime after the Jewish war, it does appear. We have some documents that appear to be written before that war. First Clement, Hebrews, for example. Um, they also seem to lack any clear reference to a historical Jesus in the earthly sense. They all seem to think there's only a cosmic Jesus. He's historical, but in the same way that Satan is historical, that they live 
in the upper reaches of the air and in the heavens and stuff. They're not earthly historical human beings in the normal sense. And um, so sometimes something happened around the Jewish war. Right after that, suddenly we start getting these gospels. The first one is Mark that are highly allegorical, highly mythical, don't seem to have any sources. They don't claim to have any sources. They're just writing these some sort of symbolic narratives portraying Jesus as a normal person uh, with miraculous powers walking through Galilee and, and then so on and being crucified by Pontius Pilate and all of that. It's only in the second half of the first century that we start hearing this as even an idea within Christianity. And it's only in the first half of the second century that we start hearing about people who, who believe that's the real Jesus, that that's the only Jesus, rather than these being symbolic myths. Um, so, uh, so it took about 100 years, maybe 50 to 100 years, for this transition. Uh, where, and then there may have still been these sort of lesser fringe sects still believing in the angelic Jesus and not the historical Jesus. We have hints of that. Uh, I talk about uh, evidence of that in the end of chapter 8 of On the History of Jesus. But none of those sects survive. Just like most other Christian sects, we don't have their literature. We don't have the literature of, of any other sect, really, like other than just a few fragments of things. Um, but we have almost nothing for most of the Christian sects of the time, except the one that got endorsed uh, by Constantine in the early 4th century. And it's only that sect that decided which books to preserve and talk about. So uh, the evidence has been highly skewed towards this one sect that isn't even uh, faithful to the Pauline Christianity, much less the original Jewish Christianity. All right. Um, well said. Um, do you think when you look at um, I know Dennis McDonald, he has a book that talks about the um, the Greek influence on Mark and the the, 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 um, the way Mark is written. Reminds me of the Iliad and Odyssey and all that stuff. And then you have also Craig Evans. He wrote a book about the Essenes' influence on Christianity. Can you speak on the um because earlier we just talked about with Earl Darity. I was gonna ask you about that. So thanks for thanks for the, the question, my brother in the audience. Um but you're talking about the visions of Isaiah. That's what I was trying to remember. So that's ah, yes. Earl yeah. Darity. That's where Earl Darity stuff and and I'm pretty familiar with it. But we know what we want to get back to that to the, to the, at the end of the interview because I want you to elaborate more on the, the vision of um, Isaiah or whatever it's called. Yeah. And what is your sources? Because I think I was on Vidar.info, that, that blog, and they had talked about the Ethiopian script that was kind of old in the first century and it couldn't date, it couldn't be before 50 AD and so yeah. forth. So we might want to elaborate on that later because people need to hear that that version or that theory and why you actually support some of it. I don't know if you support it completely, but it makes a lot of sense to me. That's mm -hmm. what makes the most sense to me. But yeah. let's talk about um, Craig Evans' book. Um, he talks about the Essenes' influence in the early Christians and then talk about Dennis McDonald and um, and um, the, the Greek influence on Mark. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of influences on the Christian sect. Now, the Christian sect clearly was a fringe countercultural sect. They were a non-elite, anti-elite sect. So they were highly critical of the main four uh, uh, sects. So they, they, were, they were pushing their own sort of agenda, sort of against mainstream Judaism. And, um, and so were a lot of the Essenes. So the Essenes actually had multiple sects of their own. There wasn't just one sect of Essenes. And um, when you go looking at them, a lot of their attributes are very similar. A lot of their teachings are very similar to the teachings we find endorsed at Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls appear to have come from either an Essene sect or, or a, many sects, one of whom is an Essene sect. 
so they, they seem very Essene. The Christians sound a lot like Essenes in a lot of ways. It's definitely true. I mean, teachings on divorce and, uh, and all kinds of other things just line up uh, very similarly. But there's also influence we see like in the Gospels from other sects. So we see a lot of actually uh, Hillelites, which are a sect of the Pharisees. The Jesus who's arguing against the Pharisees in the Gospels sounds a lot like Hillel, uh, the Rabbi Hillel, who was the founder of the liberal school of the Pharisees, when he would argue. Hey, I'm reading. Um, let me share my screen. I'm reading um, um, what he talked about, Bart Ehrman's book, right? So I went to um, his review. And I want to ask people who believe in African spirituality a question, right? Look at what it says here on page, what is this? Page what? This is very interesting. Um, hold on. Let me see if I could find it properly. Um, he talks about the Book of Enoch. It originally appears to have existed independently of First Enoch itself. Scholars typically dated to the 3rd century BC. Da, 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 da. These figures are called the Watchers. Unlike in Genesis 6 here, they are also explicitly called angels. We are told that there were 200 of these errant angels and we actually learned the names of their leaders, such angelic greats as Semyaz, Ramel, Tamel, in this account, the 200 descend to earth onto Mount Hermon. They each choose a wife and they have sex with her. The offspring who result are giants indeed. We are told that they were 450 feet tall. As such huge beings, these giants have ravenous appetites. They actually run out of food and so start eating humans. No wonder God was not pleased. Now, look at this now. It starts talking about the three of the angels up in heaven. Michael, Seraphil, and Gabriel look down, see what is happening on earth, and issue a complaint to God about it. God responds by sending the flood to destroy the giants. The watchers have been bound and cast. This, this, I don't know. There's a, there's a little hint of African systems in here. Y'all might not want to hear it, but I'm just saying. Enoch is instructed to pronounce judgment upon them. You used to be holy, spiritual, the living ones, possessing eternal life, but now you have defiled yourself with women and with the blood of the flesh of begotten children. You have lusted with the blood of the people. In this Jewish version, the divine beings are condemned for doing what Zeus did in the pagan stories. Mm. I just thought that was very interesting. I just thought I would share that. I just thought I would share that part. All right. Yeah, but it, it had a little hint of African systems in it. Have a little hint, hint of it in it. Just, I just thought so. All right. Um, let me see what other page he said. 235. Go to page 235. I could continue listening to this interview. You against the Shamites, which were the conservative sect of the Pharisees. Jesus is portrayed as arguing against just the Pharisees, um, but there wasn't, there weren't just the Pharisees. And in fact, when if those were real scenes, if Jesus was actually having those arguments, there would have been liberal Pharisees fighting with Jesus against the conservative Pharisees. So that's how we know these stories are made up because that, that, that's not realistic at all. Uh, that that whole interchange of Jesus just battling these Pharisees and they're only the Shamites that he somehow only ever encounters. There's never any hill lights there to like back Jesus up. Uh, so that, like that's that's a fiction that was created to sort of simplify reality for the, the message that um, the gospel writers wanted to create. 
But there, so there are a lot of these different sects. And so I think they all influenced Christianity in different ways. It's hard to say how much each one did uh, or, or which sect, for example, Christianity came from. They could have been an Essene shoot-off sect that was influenced by some liberal Pharisaic sects. Like, like there's a lot of different ways that it could have come about. We just don't have enough data to know. Uh, and so um, uh, it's interesting, though, to trace these, these connections. And I have a whole section in on the historicity of Jesus about these many influences, including pagan influences as well, uh, Stoic and Cynic influences uh, enter into Christianity, too. Bart Ehrman always um, asks a question about, can we provide somebody in the past that what was what was his question saying that they resurrected and did it, there's some you know what before the show is over I'm, let me get that question properly there's some question he adds that there's nobody in the past that before Jesus who, who died I don't know what he said they died resurrected and was I don't remember I'll, I'll find I'll find the quote before yeah. we go but there's a gentleman in the in the in the audience is asking about Luke about Luke writing Acts 16 in the first person. What do you think? Hold on, let me get the right question. Here. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. There's Richard about Luke's first person narrative starting in Acts. There is, there is a segment of the book of Acts where suddenly it drops into the first person. Now, actually, there are multiple texts of Acts that contradict each other, and some of them have more passages that have been converted to the first person plural than others. So uh, there's already a question as to whether the original author actually put those in there or if someone else was converting them uh, to first person plural. Because you have other texts, other manuscripts of Luke where more passages plural, uh, of the passages of Acts have been converted to the plural than is the case uh, in the mainstream version, the one that we uh, use now, or the one that's in your, your everyday Bible. Uh, so there's a lot of different explanations as to why that could be. But one thing we know for sure is the author of Acts does not claim to be among the we that he's talking about. And it was the actual standard of the time. If you were a historian, you would, and you were someone who was there, you would say so. And you would say, this is, I was here at this time, and this is what I knew because I was there, and these are the people that I knew, these are my connections, this is why I'm an authority and you should trust me. And this is the case for all the historians we have. At some point in their writings, they actually talk about, yeah, I, this was me and I was there. Um, but this, it, it's not there. In fact, Luke, in his preface to the, the gospel, says he, he actually says he's not a witness, that he's actually just slavishly preserving uh, the traditions handed down to him that, from other people. So he's actually saying he's not a witness. Uh, he also doesn't name himself or identify himself. And so when you get to the we passages, the first person plural passages in Acts, they seem to be only thrown in during this one particular IGNC travel narrative. It's a few uh, offshoots from that. But it's one narrative, and so at some points it uses the first person plural. Now, that was a common device. We know uh, anonymous, first-person plural, was a common device in fiction. First-person plural was a common device in travel narratives. Uh, so we don't know if that's where it comes from uh, or if the author of Acts was using a source that was in the first-person plural and that they changed it up. We don't know. That's possible. Uh, or it's possible someone tried to start changing some of the verses into the, into the plural over time, as we see others were doing to other manuscripts of Luke. So we won't really know. Uh, about that, but the one thing we can we do know is that the author never at any point says that he was a witness or that he knew Paul or that he was there. Uh, that's never stated uh, in the Book of Acts. All right, let me see if we have any more. Um, let me see. 
All right, let me um going to it's twelve oh one. I'm out of here, family. We talk later.